0: and welcome to Under Consultation, a podcast guide through the UK video game shows that aired in the aftermath of Gamesmaster. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, taking a giant racehorse wee-wee over the final remains of my already soiled legacy.
3: And comprehensively licking Luke, I am Ash Versus. This episode of Dara O'Brien's Go 8 Bit
0: aired on September 5th. Overwatch is top of the video game charts. Major Laser featuring Justin Bieber and Mo are top of the pops with cold water, and Sausage Party is top of the UK box office.
1: Welcome, Ketchup, mustard, oh, sausages and buns. I can't be-
4: Hey, boys! Hey, look at this! We've got one! Oh, yes! We're chosen! Oh, <laughs> yes! Oh, yeah!
1: Yeah! We've been chosen together!
0: <laughs> hey, Brenda. You and me.
2: I'm so happy that God's put our packages together.
4: It's because we belong together.
2: It's like we were made for each other.
3: Get ready, boys! Oh, feels amazing!
1: Oh, yes! I'm the first to enter eternity! Oh, potato! Way to go! The pipes, the pipes are calm.
5: Oh, Jesus, me eyes! Oh, gummy skin! Just peeling me skin! Stop! Oops. <laughs> I
3: love my You're <my>, <laughs> eating children! Really, sausage party.
0: Oh yeah, the R-rated comedy. They're back, the R-rated animated comedy. Uh I remember though being pretty hyped for this because I liked the, the the Rogan wheelhouse of things. I liked the idea of Rogan and Co. doing an R-rated animated comedy. Uh, I thought this would be quite a fun little time. And I and I saw it at the pictures, and it was fine, I guess. It's it's quite basic. It is quite um you know, it, it's got one joke. What if food had sex? And that's broadly about it. I, th- I think some of the set of it is quite funny. This idea that food thinks that leaving the supermarket is your ascent to heaven. But in fact, what is happening is you are being taken straight to your own demise. And then this food trying to make its way back to the supermarket to in order to do some more sex. And, and yeah, drugs and whatnot. It's, but it's, I, I think the designs are fun. The voice acting's fun. It's got a great voice cast. It's just, It's. It's. Fu- I have not seen it since I saw it of the pictures. So we're coming on for nearly 10 years since I last saw this movie.
3: I never watched it. Don't get me wrong. Love Seth Rogen. Like Kristen Wiig, Bill Hader, Michael Cera, James Franco, Danny McBride. All of those casts. Sam Hayek's in there as a Mexican lesbian taco. She sure is because that's that's the joke. You see,
0: she's a it's, it's taco. Gotcha. So it it she she is she is Mexican
3: and also vaginas. Oh, I just thought you meant lesbians like tacos, like Taco Tuesday. They were all about Taco Tuesday. It's a three-way joke,
0: and there are lots of three-way jokes in the movie as well.
3: Well, of course, there's also a Twinkie who's called Twink, and Luke, guess what his gimmick is. What's that? He's gay. Yeah, he sure is. He's a twink. Yep,
0: he sh- he sure is. It is all... like Hey, I will say this for Sausage Party. It's
3: better than food fights. That's a bit like saying being kicked in the balls is better than being stabbed in the taint. Yeah, and you know what? At least a win's a win. And if, and if I can hand
0: a win to this movie... I've got, it. I've got it one win.
3: I never saw the movie. I've not much to say about it. There was this weird anthropomorphizing series at the time because obviously we had this. And what was it? The Emoji movie as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I guess it's kind of, you know, Pixar laid the groundworks for this in the, uh, the mid-90s of what if toys had emotions? And then it was, what if cars had emotions? Was, what if this robot had emotions? And then eventually got to, what if emotions had emotions? And now we... You know, a lot of people then start to parody that. And Sausage Party is kind of a bit of a parody of that. What if food had sex? And the emoji movie was what if we make a terrible movie and have Patrick
3: Stewart voice poo? If you're gonna make a terrible emoji movie, you've got to voice poo with Patrick Stewart. It's the only logical conclusion.
0: Well, it's either that or Patrick Moore. You know, if you're doing an E4 post about it, you've got you know, you've got two choices to make. <laughs>
3: Nowadays, you just get an AI Patrick Moore. You just feed him (laughs) all the audio from 40 years or whatever it was of the sky at night, and he can do all the lines for you. This episode's being recorded on the same day when there's all these kind of various things going around to do with the strikes in Hollywood of like, well, what if we get extras in and we just scan their faces and then we can use them in the future without asking them, most importantly, without paying them. Without paying them. Holding hands up, and this is something I imagine we'll go into on the next UCN a bit more, we are actually now using AI on this podcast, although in a very specific context. And that is basically, I'm using voice recognition on the videos we're using because it saves a hell of a lot of time when it comes to writing notes because I get a pre-made transcript. It just writes out what everyone is saying. Yeah, it's like Dragon naturally speaking. The only AI part of it is it's cleverer than Dragon was... And it can even understand Dara O'Brien's accent, which is a real positive. It's also quite funny as well to go through and find the words that hasn't quite got. Go ape it. Go
0: ape it, exactly. And then you just sort of like, I'll oh, just do a little quick amend on that there.
3: But speaking of go ape it.
0: Yes, we are doing an episode of Dara O'Brien's Go Ape It, a show that uh, we've kind of mentioned on the podcast a lot previously because when we started doing under consultation back in 2019 launched in in 2020 this was sort of like the last video game challenge tv show and when go 8-bit came onto tv the instant comparisons were to games master because it was people doing video game challenges really i think if you put them side by side there's very little that connects them outside of people are playing video games but that was you know the instant comparison video game nation when we talked about that a couple of weeks ago that den of geek article was like and the obvious comparison is games master because that's always sort of held up as that's the the pinnacle of british video games on tv so like way back in the early doors of this show you and i talked about dar Brian's go 8-bit And I think our feelings on it at the time, I don't know if yours have changed, I don't know if mine have either, but it was very much the sense of the show wasn't that great. I don't think people really loved it when it was first on and no one's really gone back to it any time soon.
3: I think I've softened on it. I think, much like Games Master, perhaps I was a little bit edgier because, you know, hey, we were looking to make a name for ourselves as the Games Master Podcast. I watched the episode we're covering for today. I rolled straight into episode two. And then I just had most of season one on in the background. And sometimes it was great. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes I looked at it like a dog being shown a card trick. But I actually think it is trying to do something very difficult. And we've discussed this before. Is it trying to appeal to both gamers and the dirty casuals.
0: Yeah, it's it's really struggling to run that line of being a show that is, yeah, the hardcore gamers are going to watch and see the, the you know people playing the hardcore games, but also be a comedy panel show. And because that you know they were pretty big in twenty sixteen, yeah, mock of the week was huge, and there's like all panel shows are all, have been like a big staple of of British the British comedy scene for like the past ten or so years. I mean, obviously the decades before that, but there was like this boom of them in like the 2000s and into the 2010s. So it's being a panel show as well as being a gaming show on Dave in a primetime position. So it's like it's being given a shot here, but it's a hard balance to try and find. I don't know how I would tackle it.
3: This episode follows on from an interview with one of the creators of Go 8-Bit. Go 8-Bit, the original stage show, the original concept that led to Daro Breen's Go 8-Bit. However, because of how time works, I can't be 100% certain of what was said, because technically you're recording that next week.
0: Yeah, we're recording our review of this episode before we've spoken with Steve. So there'll, there'll be things that I might cover here that we might just take out of the episode because we've covered it with Steve, or there'll be stuff here that I might just end up repeating. So apologies if there is a bit of repeated content for you. Or if you didn't listen to last week's episode, here you go. Here's some Here's some potted history for you. To, to kind of go over you know, the making of this show a little bit, uh, I mentioned on the Video Game Nation episode that I knew some of the people that made the show. My friend Adam Mason was the director of the show. The original version of Video Game Nation that's been lost to time and deleted by Jinx was run by a guy named Simon Longdon, who is another friend of mine. Uh, we actually are on D&D campaigns together. It, two of my favourite character names he's ever had, Petty Cash who was a Dragon Ball that unfortunately fell into lava. And his first character's name was Beyonce Thunderwhacker. And that name has always stuck with me.
3: I'm giving a very quiet round of applause there, because that is an amazing name. So
0: Simon brought in Steve McNeil while he was doing the first version of Video Game Nation. And by that point, Steve and Sam had already done Edinburgh with Go 8-Bit. And they were talking about developing that into a TV show and actually pitched it to Jinx. And Jinx turned it down because Jinx didn't think it would work as a TV show. They thought it was just a a live show thing that people can go to, but it does not work in a TV format. But they were working on that while doing this original version of Video Game Nation. Once that fell apart... Steve and Simon stayed in touch and continued to develop it and then started to pitch it round to other TV shows. Now, amazingly enough, I didn't know this until my last watch through I had of this episode last or yesterday on the the train ride home from work. And I finished the episode and the credits are scrolling through. And I just so happened to pause it because I was just sort of tidying up my notes And I look over to the left-hand side of my screen where the video of it is, and there's a name in the credits, the technical supervision part, Tom Burgess. And I thought, well, that's funny. I know someone called Tom Burgess because I make videos with Tom Burgess. He uh, is one of the mainstays on the board game channel that my uh, company make. And he is also the, uh, the the GM of the wrestling role play series that we do on one of our other channels that we have, uh, City British Wrestling. I was like, "Oh, that's funny. It's got exactly the same name and it's the same spelling." So I text Tom and I was like, "Is this you?" And he texts me back, being like, "Yeah, actually, it is me." Wow! Not only that, but he has been working on this show since very uh, it's very early inception because he was part of the pitches as well as the technical supervision side of things, pitching it to like UK TV and stuff to be like, this is the show that we're looking to make. He was there to be on hand to make sure that everything worked. He said to me, uh, I was one of only three people in the world who knew how some of the custom software worked at the time, which is less impressive than it sounds. I actually tend to disagree. I think it is uh, more impressive than he makes it out to
3: be. I mean, I know from having done UCP live and also from my uh, live production work, knowing how bits of custom software and knowing how various programs are chained together to make this stuff appear on a screen or on a stage no that's that's fucking witchcraft be proud of that
0: yeah well the the show had a lot of problems, which we'll you know we'll dive into shortly. Perhaps Steve will have touched on this in in last week's interview, but this is what Simon uh, said to me when I asked him about the show. I stayed in touch with Steve and was eventually on the development team for Go Eight Bit. It had a lot of problems internally. Firstly, the company who owned it was run by a guy who was prone to bad judgment. Secondly, the series producer who was brought on didn't like video games or anyone who played them. So there was quickly a divide between the gamers and. The telly people, and I was slap bang in the middle of it all. During the show, I was basically responsible for making sure the actual games we played made sense, because how they played normally often didn't translate to something short and competitive for a TV show. Unfortunately, due to some of the previously mentioned bad judgement by the boss, we couldn't license any games, so our pool to pick from was extremely limited to stuff nobody had heard of. Then it was all run off PCs and consoles in the desk on stage, which lagged to the big screen, so everyone was shit at the games bar a few. They also crashed all the time, so we often massively ran over time in studios that's incredibly expensive you can go over by 10 minutes and lose tens of thousands of pounds in fees
3: i will say and it's something we'll cover as we go into the episode the big screen is a great visual having people play off the big screen is a colossally bad idea yeah as soon as i realized that that's what they were doing i was just sad they're going oh oh no Because you think back to Games Master
0: and what they would have is people sat in front of smaller TVs that are then projected up onto bigger screens so the audience can see them. You know, the the first four series or so when they actually had an audience there so that the audience could watch and, and react to it. When we went to the Games Master reboot, it was the same way. There are people sat looking at smaller screens and those smaller screens are just displayed on bigger screens for us to watch. When we did our own live show, we did the exact same thing. Because people aren't then playing to something that's being projected, where you can have lag on button inputs and often make game playing bad, and I, I think it almost like explains why a lot of the challenges never really feel like they worked because we have the Chucky e. Egg challenge in this. Can't believe Chucky e. Eggs made it like four episodes in a row on this at th- this point.
3: Do a comeback? Do a reboot?
0: <laughs> Apparently so, but I don't know if that, like some of that explains why. Susan's a bit
3: jankier at the game than Sam is. I've got my own theories on that, but we'll we'll,
2: we'll come to that. Because of lag and us becoming more part of the furniture, series two of Go 8-Bit was where the gamers on social media started to lay, lay into the show a little bit. And one of the main criticisms it got was why the fuck are they booking people who don't know or like game? None of these pricks that are coming on can play games. So what's, I don't want to watch people not know how to fucking play video. They should be playing it and playing it well, but they were all good at playing games. And when we were in the green room, which we had set up with consoles with all the games, we'd get them into us before and get them to play the games. Me and Sam would go and sit in with them, have a chat, make sure they knew all the buttons, all the controls, if they hadn't played them before. We'd let them know in advance what the games were so they could prep them at home if they wanted. Um, but there was, if, you, if you've seen Go8Bit, where the compute where we all sat, the sofa, that was on the edge of this massive revolving stage. And from the consoles, which were by our feet, because we needed the connectivity of the controllers, so the controllers were near the consoles. You then had a wire that ran all the way to the middle of the revolving stage, because it had to, because uh, the way it was built, because it rotated, drop down, then run all the way across the studio floor, massive TV studio floor, up the wall into a gallery that's about forty foot high, into that desk, then send a vision feed back from there back to the studio floor, into the LED screen. And by the time you sent a video, no matter what, and we've got all the toys, no matter what you're doing, by the time the video's got to that screen, there's lag. And quite a lot. In some of the games, it could be half a second to a second of lag, which to a non-gamer won't sound like much. But I challenge anyone who thinks they're good at timing the jumps in Super Mario Brothers to do it if I give you a second of lag it is it, i actually got quite good at it because i used to practice on the studio for the and get a feel for it and i saw so I, I can play games preempting turns and things in racing games because i had to because i was meant to be a gamer and i didn't want to be humiliated being rubbish as the gamer on the gaming show um but the guests quite rightly got you know susan cameron was just doing donuts in a tunnel on ridge racer like she can smash Course on Ridge Racer, she can't smash it if when she turns right, it doesn't turn right. So she presses it again and then it turns right. to it. it's just it, it's impossible. Um, and the reason given uh initially was cost that it would be too expensive to have monitors on the desks, and actually, when I offer to literally pay out of my own money to put <laughs> monitors on the I genuinely, so I'll pay for them, I will pay for monitors on set. What it became apparent was that they wanted these low camera angles of our faces and they didn't like the idea our eyelines would be downwards at monitors because visually it would look bad on TV. The problem with that is, yes, it might look slightly worse if our eyelines aren't as visually appealing to traditional telly. But if everybody on the show where you compete on video games can't play the video games, it doesn't matter how nice our faces look. The gaming is a waste of everyone's time. And that's what the show is. It's competing on games. So, again, it's that telly versus gamers thing. And it was a big point of contention between us. You've got all the gamers going, you've got to have monitors with zero lag or you you can't do the thing. And production, uh, again, naming their names, going, I'm not having shit cluttering up the desk and getting in the way of the shots. That ru- that ruins the thing. What should have happened was that the set and the camera shots were made sensitively around monitors which were as much as possible made invisible or minimal in terms of impact on the screen. Uh, that should have been the solution because it's the only way you can do it.
0: That's kind of like a bit of a potted history from another side of the Go 8-bit tale. I think it's probably time that you and I dived into the episode.
3: Yeah, because we've certainly got other things to discuss along the way.
1: Dara Breen and welcome to Go Ape, the show for everyone who's ever visited London Zoo. I've been slightly disappointed that the gorillas weren't standing on scaffolding, throwing barrels at a plumber.
0: I really like the intro to this show. this sort of like the pixelated graphics with Dara, Sam and Steve and Ellie kind of... Mario Kart with Pac-Man sort of chasing behind them. you go going to track and field. There's a bit of a GTA stuff in there. Q-Bird's in there. There's even like a little bit at the end, which is sort of the Streets of Rage scrolling beat them up but they're also doing Street Fighter moves.
3: Yeah, you could frame by frame this sequence and be finding references for days. It is a very, very strong start. And I would argue the theme music is also a very, very strong start because this is a theme that 100% fits the title go 8-bit, here we have 8-bit chip tune music. This is straight out of the synths of the NES, of the Game Boy, of the Spectrum, of the Commodore 64, of all that kind of era of lots of bleeps and bloops chained together to make beautiful, resonating music. It's a top quality title sequence. Probably my favourite title sequence of any of the shows we've covered Since Games Master ended, because a lot of those title sequences have been arse. And whilst I loved Video Game Nation's opening, it was more of a poem followed by a title card.
0: This is, you know, the show that we've done so far that's probably had the most money put into it. And that is reflected not only in the talents that appears on this show not just in its host, but the guests that are on as well, the title sequence, the huge studio space that they're in because you then go into it and you've got this huge wall around them. There's a spinning stage that they're on. Like, it is money has been put into this show. Dave and UKTV were looking at this to be a successful new panel show format.
3: I'll be very curious to hopefully hear a little bit about what goes into the set design because I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, okay, this is this is very much like an eight-bit set. You've got the light up blocks that are pixels and the furniture kind of looks like a pixelated version of the captain's chair from the Enterprise, which, knowing Dara is a nerd, I'm sure Dara liked that as well. Doesn't look terribly comfortable though, I will say that, because it's all angular and stuff. But I'm also looking at it in going whilst some attention has been paid to the theming this also does feel very much like it's a panel show from the mid-20 teens Mm -hmm. like you could with a few logo changes use this set for mock the week or i don't know any of the other panel shows that dara would appear on yeah or that dave were making a little bit on dara because i feel like i owe dara an apology because a couple of times during UCP's run, we've kind of made the bit of the joke about, oh, a reboot, best called Dara. Because in the past 20 years, I mean, he's been on Robot Wars, which was brought back. He's been on Blockbusters, which was brought back. He became the comfortable face to put on a property or put associated with a property when you're bringing it back or rebooting it. When they announced they were bringing Buzzcocks back, I briefly thought, is Dara going to be hosting it? Turns out, no, they went with Greg Davis. Much more sensible choice for that format. And even with Games Master, when we had that initial production call, like when we spoke with the showrunner before he was going into production and he was talking with us about ideas for hosts, he was asking our opinion. Still blows my mind. I do remember saying, don't ask Dara. And I feel bad for saying that because watching Go 8-Bit and remembering the fact that, as we talked about before, on previously on game swipe and other things the dude loves his video games he would have actually been a good choice as a host i think my only concern was is he might kind of carry with him a label because he is associated with just reboots to a degree i mean even this whilst it's a new series it's an original to dave it's not a new concept it's a concept that existed quite comfortably on stage for a number of years previously He's also a style of host, you know, when you sort of do
0: the big introductions. He's very good at that style of hosting, which I do not think would have fitted in with the Games Master reboots. That's why I think like, you know, Rab was almost the perfect choice for for the, the style and vibe that they were going for. Dara is incredible at shiny studio floor entertainment panel shows that's why he presented Mock the Week for so long. It's why he gets brought in for Blockbuster. It's why he gets brought in for, you know, these various different reboots, outside of the fact that there is one talent agency that has got all of these names signed to it, and that one talent agency basically dictates who goes onto what shows and who doesn't go onto shows. But he's excellent at the shiny floor setting. And that's why he's great for Go 8 bits, because this is a
3: shiny floor show. He's also really, really good. At bridging the nerd and the norm. And I'll hold up some of his routines on Live at the Apollo as an example of that. Because as I mentioned before, he did a routine on Metal Gear Solid on Primetime BBC One.
1: There's a game called Metal Gear Solid where you play a character called Snake. Yes. And when Snake dies, the camera pulls cinematically up from above him and the voice of the man Snake has been speaking to on his comms unit goes Snake! 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 Every time he dies. When I play as Snake, he dies a lot. But the man's sadness seems undiminished by the regularity with which he has to mourn Snake. You think once or twice he'd go, ah, Snake you think there'd be some sort of debriefing session in this international espionage organisation where they go, Jesus Mick, you're very disappointed about the death of Snake, right? <laughs> well, he was one of the best agents. we've He was not Mick. We've looked back
3: over the mission logs. His behaviour in the field was erratic at best. And the audience were with him. The audience that were probably only about like, maybe 25 to 30% of that average audience would know what a Metal Gear Solid is. And he carried them through it. And he got big laughs. And even in this, where I'd say it's maybe 50 to 75% of the audience are gamers, he still manages to bring the other 25% along the way by making references back and making more general pop culture references that people who just read a newspaper once in a blue moon will get. There's a joke right at the top of the episode that we'll get to in a second that I had to look at calendar dates to work out how controversial that joke was. But you know that you're in safe hands with Dara. I think mm-hmm. it's the thing. He's, he was also, I, I saw a quote somewhere relating to Dara, where he was nominated as the person most likely to take the mantle of Terry Wogan as the most popular Irishman in England. They're not far wrong. Mm. I think the only reason he's not doing Eurovision is Graham got there first. Oh, and there, there's Mel in the wings as well, ready to
0: swoop in and take that job once it's available.
3: That, that milk churn from the last Eurovision, that was her audition piece. <laughs>
0: So the general idea of Go 8 Bits, if you have not seen the show before or you haven't seen this episode, which in fairness, it's available on Archive, uh, but there's no versions of this on YouTube. There are lots of clips that uh, UK TV have put up over the years, but there is no full episode on YouTube. But a lot of it is available on archive.org if you want to go find it. But the basic gimmick of the show and the setup of the show is you have two team captains in Steve and Sam, the originals from Go 8 Bit. And with them are usually two comedians or a comedian and a TV presenter. In this case it's a comedian and a sports personality. And they are going to do five video game challenges. And the audience will determine how many points you are awarded. We'll get into that in a little bit. And at the end of the episode, one of those teams wins and off we go. It is a very very simple format, and I, we were talking about this earlier about you know like our sort of you know when we're getting down to recording this, and I said like when we did like our original run of Games Master, the actual challenge part of it was usually the shortest portion of any episode record we did. We would spend more time in the news features or the re- uh, or the reviews or the features. Got none of that here like there's no news there's no reviews there's no features there's a little bit of history done by the games expert Ellie Gibson who is uh, by the you know side of the stage but this is just five challenges and panel show banter it's a perfect format for Dave really like this is this is Dave's bread and butter
1: joining gaming with Steve McNeil's team this week is a woman who used to be a lawyer and once worked in America with hardened criminals on death row. I can't top that. Although I did once share a stage with Rolf Harris. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Susan Kalman!
0: <laughs> so joining Steve this week is a, uh, a very, very funny comedian w- in Susan Kalman. However, I, this is probably the line you were alluding to just a moment ago in terms of, ooh, that's quite a that's a joke to make.
3: Yeah, because she was indeed a lawyer did once work with hardened criminals on death row and dara's comeback is probably to my mind the funniest and almost most inappropriate line on the show probably joint inappropriate line and yeah sharing a stage with rolf harris and immediately as soon as that came up i was watching it downstairs on the tv and i just got on my phone and i'm like Okay, that was 2013. This aired in 2016. That would explain why there's more laughter than air being sucked in through teeth. But there's still a ratio going on there. There is. There's a mixed reaction to it, uh, in a sense. (laughs) That Uh, punchline got mixed reviews.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I thought it was funny in the sense of we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. 190 odd episodes we've managed to avoid a lot of like you know dodgy subjects and touchy things actively so like he has been mentioned on previous episodes in a context before everything was known about him but we have managed to avoid all of that and here we are three episodes two out of the last three episodes we've had them just front and center cannot be avoided
3: although at least here he's a punchline
0: Yes, he's not He's not an active participant of the show.
3: Yeah, but Susan, Scottish comedian, presenter, writer, panellist, also had a legal career at one point. She worked in corporate law in addition to working on death row. And basically, it was while she was working corporate law that she got fed up with corporate law. And I've known some corporate lawyers... I can understand why you would wish to transition to something else. And she did. She started working on her stand-up comedy during the evenings and eventually was just like, turns out I don't need this lawyer job anymore. I can just devote my time to stand-up comedy. She got an honorary degree. Uh, She was honoured for her work in broadcasting and comedy as well as dealing with issues related to LGBT rights and mental health. And she, she came from a tough background in that... She was growing up gay in Glasgow in the 90s. It's a little easier today, but in the 90s, woof. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, She did get a bit of controversy when she was on Strictly because she didn't insist upon a same-sex partner. And I find that weird. I'd have thought like the Daily Mail would have been outraged if she had. But no, she got criticised from her peers for not asking for a same-sex partner or not insisting on it, and she was like, "I've I've done activist stuff. I I just want to dance. I don't, you know, I I don't I don't have to dance with a woman. I'm you know, I'm not actually going to sleep with this person. This is not dirty dancing. I'm being taught how to dance. Yeah, not not everything needs to be a statement about something
0: else. Um, but also like yeah, you're right. It's it's almost you, you don't get the hate from the other side of things. It's it's annoying that you just get the hate from your own side of things.
3: But not only is she a voice I recognise from things like the news quiz, and I'm sorry I haven't a clue, I'm also very glad we've got her on this episode because she is a Doctor Who fan and has had a short story published on it as well. So... I am very, very happy with that.
1: we the gaming muggle, Sam Pamphelon, as a man with 53 England caps, who's played in Euro 2004 and the 2010 World Cup. So he's used to taking part in top-level professional competitions. Boy, is he going to be disappointed tonight. <laughs> it's James.
0: And joining Sam's team is our resident non-comedian for this episode. And I would say it is uh england's punching bag for a while uh the, for the longest time david james very much was the england football team's punching bag of like christmas day is this the best that we have is it really david james i remember watching this episode because I, I was there day one for go 8-bit because i was very excited that video games were back on tv really excited for go 8-bit when they said the first episode was david james all of these things have been like oh man that England goalkeeper i think he's actually quite fine on this he does get a little bit pouty uh when he loses but he <laughs> also
3: he turns heel
0: he does turn Absolutely heel, but, turn yeah. heel. but he's, a, he's a very good presence on the show. And, I've, and it actually kind of endeared me to him. And it made me feel quite bad for all of the mocking that I used to do of David James being a terrible goalkeeper for England. Because, you know, like even when uh, Dara's talking about his day, you know, played in Euro 2004 and the 2010 World Cup. And you're like, well, there are some other competitions that happened in that time. And you're like, where was David James? Well, it was oftentimes we weren't qualifying. We were doing bad. We had a bad old run of things.
3: And yet, in the Premier League, he was great. Because
0: in, in fairness, Wayne Rooney was the exact same way. Wayne Rooney couldn't do a, he couldn't place a foot wrong in the league. Got to put him up onto that international staging with a dog's
3: dinner. He held the Premier League record for most clean sheets with 169. That was only surpassed, I think, relatively recently. But he still holds the record for most penalties saved in Premier League history. Now, the fact that the international side of things didn't work, I mean, it is a very, very different kettle of fish, particularly because, and I've noticed this a lot, is when you actually get to international level, because of course, oh, you're playing for England, you've got to be English, you're playing for France, you've got to be French. So suddenly it's like you've got half the Manchester United squad stood across from another half of the Manchester United squad playing for two separate countries. But that also means that these guys know how the other guys operate. It does make international matches very interesting when you look at it like that. But also, I guess it can make things a little unbalanced if maybe there's only two people on the opposing side that have actually worked with half of, say, the England squad, because it means they can share all the tactics with the rest of their teammates. But the England squad don't have a clue about the other nine men on the pitch.
0: Yeah, I get. Yeah, I, I get your your point. Is, you know, there was a period of time in in Premier League football where you were capped on the amount of uh, international players that you could have on your team. Obviously, that was that was dropped as you got into the the two thousands. Then it was just the floodgates were open because it's the most competitive football league in the country. Every player, all the best players in the world, do want to play in that league. But I, I think the England team has suffered as a result of that in some cases. Most notably, I think, in our goalkeeping uh, capacity because it's not like Jordan Pickford is much better choice than David James ever was. Also, David James played for Liverpool, so I'm, I'm bound not to like him. I'm bound to have a, a certain grudge against him.
3: You're right. I forgot. We're meant to be
0: enemies on this, exactly. aren't we? Exactly. We're supposed to be enemies on this one. He played oh. for the Dirty Reds. Oh, boo. Um, exactly. You know, boo dual, you. D- down, up the blues. Uh, right a, up the blues. A, but, you know, it's, he was also just like, he was fucking terrible for England. And it wasn't always his fault. It's just he was the punching bag of punchlines for a long, long time. So, as I said, I'm glad that this episode did endear me to him a little bit more because i've i've you know i made a lot of fun of david james over the years
3: he looks quite happy to be here though and he's also suited and waistcoated and i reckon looking at the state of his collar he turned up at that studio with a tie realized he'd overdressed for the occasion and he's like well i'm either dropping the waistcoat or i'm dropping the tie and he was looking at it going no i love my waistcoat i'm dropping the tie it's a look. He's certainly the most presentable person on stage, including Dara, who is wearing a suit. But Dara is in his standard panel show outfit. Yeah, and you have got
0: Steve McNeil there, who is just in the, the 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 geek style of the time. You are wearing a shirt with a geek t-shirt underneath.
3: It's a it's a look that I still rock today. You still day. rock it. I'm only not wearing it now because we're recording at home, so I've had to turn the fan off, shut the window, and now I'm asshole's hot
1: keeping everyone in check is the only person in the country who actually owned a Gizmondo. It's our resident (laughs) games
3: expert, Ellie Gibson. We get a name check for the Gizmondo. (laughs) Gizmondo, who's,
0: you know, become a big part of uh, Stop Skeletons from Fighting uh, as a channel. And actually has been on this podcast numerous times as well at this point.
3: I do like her role here because she's not just there in the kind of, um, I guess, uh, Susie Dent on Countdown type role. I liken her role here more to a commentator, but with the dynamic between her and Dara, a bit of uh, Alexander Armstrong and Richard on the TV show Pointless, where, you know, they're both funny people. They're both very funny people. They both have comedy careers. But within the dynamic of this show, Alex is Dara is Alex. So is the motor mouth, the constant running, the constant quips. Whereas Ellie slash Richard is the one that is there for the facts. And also, boom, with the zingers. Boom, with the kind of the less punchlines, but kind of more zingy ones and certainly more subject appropriate. I think it's a really, really nice dynamic and definitely gives her more to do than I think otherwise she could have had. Although I could have stood for a more 50-50 balance on this. But I think that sort of parity is going to be a case of Even if someone's fighting for that, they're going to be fighting executives who are going, but look, we paid for Dara.
0: Yeah, she's kind of fulfilling the role uh, within our own podcast terms. She is our games master and our Dave Perry of latter half series three. The constant colour commentator that was there as opposed to a rotating cast. So she's kind of fulfilling a lot of roles. She is there to tell us about the challenges. She's there to set up the rules for those challenges and then provide the facts about them and then provide the colour commentary with Dara. I do have some comments to make about the commentary, but we'll get to that when we get into our first challenge. Yeah, she is the game's mummy. <laughs> Susan, let me go to you first. How big a
1: gamer are you? I'm a pretty big gamer. It's When I was a student, that's when I first got
5: my my PS1 and just weekends uh, with a crate of lager and <laughs> Resident Evil. I mean, it really, I was, I was a very, 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 very lonely. Lonely <laughs> 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 And I'm just, I, I'm in a relationship now with someone who's as big a gamer as I am. It's perfect. And so we just lock the door on a Friday night and sit in our pants. <laughs> Two games. crates of lager. Two crates <laughs> of lager. <laughs> Hello, you know,
1: my usual order. I'd like you to double it. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. we're very happy. We're very happy.
0: <laughs> but I suppose what we move into now is the, uh, the the banter section of our panel show format, which is where we'll ask one question: Are you a gamer? And from that. We'll banter our way through the next five minutes, probably record for eight, and we'll edit that down into two and a half and
3: that's so like we that's we'll, our podcasting production <laughs> cycle
0: exactly yes I mean because like we get our first sort of our first sort of challenge comes in almost like eight to nine minutes into the show itself, so there's a long a lot of setup grants a lot of that is introducing Sam, introducing Steve, introducing zoom, introducing David, introducing Ellie and then the banter portion, then it's setting up the challenge. So it kind of stands to reason. But yeah, there's a lot of just big chat plus jokes. Hard to do in sort of a podcast format of us reviewing it, because I don't think we're just going to like, we're not reviewing the jokes that they are telling. And it's hard for us to sort of, you know, recount what it is they've said outside of, you know, the the clips that you'll have heard. But I do quite like, you know, Susan very much being like, I played Resident Evil and I you know I had a crate of lager and that was me on a Friday night. I was very lonely. But I've got a partner now, so it's okay. And then it leads into, oh, that Dara can do a bit. Uh, hello, Crater Lager? Two, please actually. Well, oh, congratulations.
3: This is the perfect example of what I said about Dara linking the nerd and the norm. Because even if you're watching this and you don't know what a PlayStation is, you think Resident Evil might be something to do with a housing association. You get the Oh, one crate of lager to two crates of lager. Congratulations. Type thing. That that's the joke that translates to the broader audience. It works very well. It got a chuckle out of me. And
1: David, uh, you're legendarily a gamer as well. Legendarily. Well, in as much as
4: it was once given by you as an excuse. Was it after a particular match or it... Well, essentially what I said was I I enjoyed playing games a lot. Before games, for yes, matches. For matches, yeah. And um possibly the sort of lack of nervous energy, had an influence on the game. That was it. I wasn't addicted. I'm st- <laughs> I wasn't, definitely wasn't addicted. Um, I'm not even obsessive. I just like doing particular things a lot. <laughs> and at the time... <laughs> if you can't stop, yeah. if you stop me doing it, I'll kill you. Yeah.
3: <laughs> then we move on to David James, a legendary gamer... And this, of course, alludes to the whole thing of him saying that the reason he was shiting goal for a particular match, uh, let three Newcastle goals in, I believe, is because he'd been sat up all night playing Tomb Raider and Tekken. I really have to question that last one, and I will again later. But he's like, oh, well, I got all of my nervous energy out, so I didn't have any left for the match. And this feels like the, uh, the, the next generation of no sex before, on the night before a big game. It's just like you lose yeah. all your extra testosterone and and build up and um vigor if you will it's kind of an amazing moment as well because that was like a
0: big name sports personality name dropping things like Tomb Raider and Tekken in a football interview and it's it was almost one of those sort of like watershed moments of just like bloody hell this really is breaking into the mainstream now. This is not just for nerds watching Games Master. This is for actual sports people like David James.
3: And it's funny because at the time, he did kind of use the word addiction, like saying, oh, I'm addicted to video games. But here he does his best not to use it for comic effect. And it is probably his best joke. Yeah, it's which really, is just really like, good. I'm not I'm not addicted. I don't need this. No, I, ju- I just really enjoyed playing it. I just enjoyed playing games a lot. Uh, not even obsessive. I just like doing particular things a lot.
0: And they then do one of my favourite things you can do in a, in a very visual medium, which is putting someone very tall next to someone who is very short. Because Susan Kalman is not a tall person. And David James is not massively tall. He's 6'4". Which is, it's tall, but it's not like, it's not Greg Davis tall.
3: It's below the average height for a Premier League goalkeeper, which is six foot five inches. So he's bringing the average down. But next to Susan Kalman,
0: who is probably four foot eleven, five foot nothing, she comes up to like the small of his
3: back. It's a great visual. And she takes being compared to Danny DeVito in her stride. I think I'd have been slightly more offended by that, although Danny DeVito, very funny guy. I thought that was a really funny joke, the gaming version of Twins.
0: So, I suppose we'll head off into our first challenge. What are we playing, Gelly?
6: Well, teams, it's time to start bricking it as we play Tetris. <laughs> tetris is a deceptively simple puzzle game. The idea is to arrange different shapes into neat rows. Create a full line and it will disappear. Clear four lines at once and you've achieved a Tetris. If the pile of shapes reaches the top of the screen, it's game over. In 1989, Nintendo bundled Tetris with the new Game Boy handheld and it became a cultural phenomenon, with 35 million units sold. The PC version came with a boss button, so people playing at work could press a key when their boss walked by to switch to something less incriminating, like a spreadsheet or pornography. Tetris is the brainchild of Russian computer programmer Alexey Pajitnov. In order for his game to see the light of day, Pajitnov had to hand over legal ownership to the Soviet government. He said later, human rights were a very grey area at the time. Now, of course, the issue of human rights in Russia is black and white. There aren't any.
3: Our research for this episode is simple, because not only is Ellie setting up the challenges, she's doing the game history bit as well. It's great. And sometimes when you come back into the studio, she'll give you further facts. She's wonderful, really. But this, of course, is a game. It's a game that's so big that even the non-gamers in the audience give it a woo. It's the game. Like it, it is the game that if you have never
0: played a game before, you probably know what Tetris is because it, it, it those shapes have broken into the mainstream. We've talked about this on previous podcasts before, but they are iconic shapes. And they, people know what a Tetris is. People know what a Game Boy is because it was such a huge part of the pop culture zeitgeist that it was featured everywhere in the early 90s and sort of beyond and became sort of a catch-all term for handheld gaming in the same way that in America a Nintendo became a catch-all term for all video game machines. Mm. And a, a Game Boy was the, sort of the same thing uh, you know, here in the UK. And it's, it's a perfect first challenge. If you are setting up a show that is trying to bring in all audiences, not just the hardcore gamers, but also people who are just watching Dave on a Wednesday night at 9pm, this is the perfect first challenge. Because it's the perfect game to pick.
3: There's been over 520 million copies of Tetris sold on different platforms for mobile, especially at this point in time, because we're now in the smartphone generation. Uh, 132 million paid like purchased copies of tetris on mobile platforms at this point over 65 different systems overall you know tetris you know tetris there is a chance you will know the name tetris more than you will know the name nintendo or sega or i don't know daro breen possibly even
0: yeah maybe. I, not. I think there are probably more people who have heard the name tetris than have actually played tetris And when you think about the amount of people that have played Tetris, that's a huge number of people that know what Tetris is.
3: And of course, as we mentioned, Ellie also gives us a bit of history on where Tetris came from. If you want more information on that, uh, go watch the Tetris movie. It's really good. And there's a lot of things in there that you'll think are unbelievable. And only some of them are actually made up for the benefit of the film. There are some things they didn't include in the film that are true, that they just went, no. We, we can't put that in. That is too weird. And I love that. I love that they created like fictional chases and stuff like that. But there were other things that did happen that were too weird to put in. That's a real watermark. I feel like Tetris is like the first video
0: game history. First, like It's the first sort of bit of video game history. It's like that even... If you are, like, when you're sort of, like, first... I'm going to dive into this video game thing and learn some things. It's kind of like Tetris is the first place you go to, because it's the most interesting story. And it's sort of the most, like, wacky story and stuff. And so it becomes then the first proper bit of video game history that people know and can just recite facts of. You know, even just, like, people who made
3: it and how it gets to Nintendo and this, that, and the other. And this segment does end with a joke that I really wish wasn't an evergreen joke but here we are 2023 a comment on russia's human rights it still lands it still
0: lands there i mean i actually really liked ellie's fact that we had coming out of this that the original tetris file side was you know 10 times smaller than your average word document it's so one of those things people are like oh the, the the computers that powered the uh, the rocket that got us to the moon is you know actually way less power than what your phone is in your pockets
3: Would you like some comparable file sizes for other legendary games? Go for it. Cool. So the original Super Mario Brothers for the Nintendo, 32 kilobytes. So actually bigger than Tetris, but that would make sense. More sprite variety. Space Invaders, and I think this was for the original arcade, 8 kilobytes. ET for the Atari was 5. One for every screen you visit one for every time you fall down a hole before taking the cartridge out and throwing it out the window.
0: Yeah, like I said, I think this was like the perfect uh, challenge to start off with, not only for the audience at home and perhaps the audience that's in the building, but for our players as well. Because you set up, you know, everyone's played this game before, so Susan can talk about it, you can go to David, David can say something about it.
3: It was the first time that he liked doing something a lot.
0: yeah. And then it's you know it's the it's the game, and then you can get into what is the challenge itself, and you find out a little bit more of what to expect from Go Eight Bit because it's not just any Tetris challenge. We're actually going into something a bit more than just playing Tetris, Ellie. What are our rules?
6: We're playing a Wii version of Tetris. Captain Steve and Sam are pressing the buttons while their teammates issue commands like up, down, what are you doing, you idiot, and so on. <laughs> and just to make things a little bit more interesting, Steve and Sam will be blindfolded, so clear communication is the key.
3: This challenge would also feel really at home on like Saturday morning television or Fun House or um, the Nickelodeon one that featured video games that we haven't actually covered, but never say never on that one because I found a few episodes recently. Uh, I I love this. I love this whole blindfolded giving directions because it's all about communication. It's all about teamwork. If you are effective communicators, you will excel at this challenge. Sorry, Susan. Um, But before we get into that, there's
0: one other bit uh, to, to cover on this, which is kind of, again, basically paints the picture of how big Tetris is as a thing and how big Tetris is as a pop culture icon is that Ellie gives David James a present and that present is a Tetris t-shirt that you can play and the the comedy of this is wow what a wacky present but also b it's Susan playing the game on uh David James you got this with him being like press it harder press it harder Susan then shouting call my mum it's a boy and it's some really really funny stuff and it's that appealing to the mass market audience i think it's a really smart bit of comedy to put in there
3: i was absolutely gutted that to the best of my knowledge this was not a mass-produced item uh, it was developed by a guy called mark kirger for the 30th anniversary of tetris it was open sourced and so you can go and make your own it's powered by a couple of aa batteries and an arduino and a special 128 led light-up matrix so you can make your own. The key difference, I think, between the one that I saw the guy make and the one on screen is it's called on the one on screen a T-shirt, whereas his just said Tetris. Mm. But I think they also were like, we're, we're skirting around copyright infringement here. Let's be a little bit careful. Yeah,
0: smarter to just call it a T-shirt. Also, that's quite a clever name. So the other gimmick of this show is that the points... Which really, when you get into the final round, don't matter. But the points you have are determined by the audience. So the audience have smartphone devices that determine which team they think is going to win. And then whichever the the winning team of that vote is, that's how many points are on offer. So in our first example here, David and Sam's team get 62% of the votes. So there's 62 points up for grab. Now the reason why I say it kind of doesn't really matter when you get to the final round is because well the final round's worth double points anyway, so even if you win through all of the four rounds, you might just be able to pull it back in the final round with double points. That's why the double points thing is there. But it's it's almost like it, it sort of works and it sort of doesn't.
3: I think I and I think the mechanic is very cool. I think it's a very very interesting idea. I think the way I would have done it personally, just a tweak to the format, is okay. So 62% voted for David and Sam. So if they win, they get 62 points. If Susan and Steve win, they get 38. So you actually then get a swing because, say, Susan and Steve won, they'd get 38%. The audience would have been wrong not to back them. But then maybe that swings it the other way then. And so you get a bit more back and forth dynamic rather than just going, well, the biggest percentage is the one to go for. Because that could just end up getting really boring to the point where even double points don't mean anything, because if you thought one team was going to win with 80% of the vote for three games and they won all three games, it doesn't matter if you swing the other way for the last one. Double points ain't going to do diddly dick. No, pretty much.
0: I, they tighten this up in the second series as well, because that reveal of how many points is given. So, you know, in the first series it is, let's go to the audience and you have shots of the audience that they're working things out and then the reveal. As you get into series two, and I think this is a really smart move, they do the audience picking the points as the stage is spinning. So they ah. spin the stage and then be like, and the audience has revealed, this is how many points are up for grab. It's so it's so much shorter and it makes the episodes much tighter.
3: Yeah, as well, because that that whole spinning stage must have seemed like a great idea on paper and everyone on the stage does their best to sell it. But by the time I got to the end of episode one, I was for the most part over it
0: yeah you see it five times and it's a lot see it five times but also i mean it's the first time that they do it the reactions you get from the guests is very good because they are like whoa there's spins but by time number five you can see them desperately trying to think of something to do to make the spin feel entertaining and it's fine if you're one of the guests but if you're sam or if you're steve if you're a dara you're ellie you've got to do this a bunch more times. You've got like five more times to do this per episode of this series. You've got to do this another 50 times.
3: And dahl has got to introduce it every time. And even by the end of this episode, he's like, let's move 45 degrees in that direction. Woo! <laughs>
0: it's only so far you can take it. So we get into the challenge itself. And I'd, I'll, I'll say this now for the commentary.
3: Oh, oh, oh. Luke, 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 Luke. Yeah. Lip ribbon mics. <laughs>
0: Outside of the excitement that they are using uh, lip ribbon mics.
3: still want a pair.
0: <laughs> this is, um, I, f- I feel bad for them. I don't want to like, you know, uh, I'm not, I don't want to knock people too much because I don't like, you know, uh, punching down or anything like that. But commentary is hard because yeah. we found this when we did UCP Live too. Commentary is hard because what you end up doing is you find yourself just watching the challenges and not really commentating on them. And Dara, in particular, is just watching the challenges. Because he's a gamer. He's a gaming fan. So he just wants to watch people play games. And Ellie is doing her best to try and get Dara on track, or trying to get him to commentate on things, or make jokes or things like that. But Dara oftentimes is just watching and reacting to the action as opposed to commentating On the action.
6: All right. Okay, here we go. We have Stephen and Susan on the left, and David and Sam on the right.
1: Have already chosen sides here.
6: Yes, they're already getting into it. That's an error already. Steve will not be happy with that. Ooh. Wait, wait, wait. wait, Drop,
5: drop, drop. Perfect.
1: First line goes to Sam and Dave.
5: Right. Left, 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 left,
6: left, 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 drop, 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 drop. <laughs> that is the trick with Steve. You do have to repeat the word eight times and then he finally gets it. Do you know,
1: and I genuinely think that David James is lining off doubles and triples. Oh. Genuinely very good at this.
0: It reminds me a lot of um Gamesville commentary. Mm. Of just Saying something for the sake of something, saying something for the sake of saying something. Ellie is trying to do like tennis style commentary, you know, sort of like that soft voice to try and add a bit of like spice and dra- drama to it or something or a bit of a comedy to it. But none of it like really lands. And there are often times where there's no commentary, there's just sort of pauses, long pauses where they're not saying anything. It is, again, tightened up by the end of this series, tightened up into series two because they are used to working together a man alive like it really you credit to dom kirk dave you know credit to dave as well the rest of the games master team and frankie when you get into the reboot as well who can carry this sort of thing because it's not an easy task to do
3: no i mean i watched this and i immediately thought of our efforts at live commentary and i can say this now if the video from ucp live 2 does appear i don't think it will have our live commentary we will dub it because there's no
0: commentary there there's barely any commentary there
3: i've been practicing though like when i've been streaming and when i've been doing ucpw the, the wrestling part of the stream whether i'm playing the game or not I've been doing play-by-play commentary on the matches because I'm just trying to get into that habit of watching the screen but also producing noise at the same time and making that noise coherent. So hopefully I will have had some level of marked improvement. But we, what we find here
0: is a difference of style in terms of team play. David will just say, left, 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 rotate, rotate, drop, right? right, right, left, rotate, rotate, drop. Susan has not made a delineation between a direction of movement and a direction of rotating, because there'll be times when she'll say, rotate left, rotate right, move left, move right, but often will then just go left, 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 right, 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 when she means rotate and drop, and she just ends up screaming At Steve and the more she screams at Steve the less he has idea of what she actually wants him to do the more mistakes he makes this is a comfortable win for David James and and Sam's team here because they're fine they're absolutely fine but the comedy comes from Susan's team because she is losing her mind at how bad Steve is at following directions even though they are not good directions.
3: I think the directions, like what she is wanting to do in the game, if you actually follow what she's saying and where the pieces are, is fine. But you're right, it's the delivery, it's the tone, it's the volume. Because, and this will in part be because she is employed there as a comedian, it's kind of what she's there to do. She's going Tom Cruise on Oprah crazy on this one. She's jumping up on the sofa, she's leaning around, she's just going... All over the place, whereas David is just sat there like he's delivering the shipping forecast. And left, left, rotate right and down, left again, rotate left and down. It says, look, when it comes to the post match, Sam is like, I felt like I was being dominated. And I'm like, that voice, I mean, yeah, that is a form of, you know, there are were, there were, there were probably some people that would have gotten quite moist at being that close to David uh, with that sort of voice. Yeah, and it is just, I've never been so well-behaved in my whole life.
0: Very different to uh, Steve and Susan, who are just shouting at each other about the differences in giving directions.
2: What went wrong? Well? She doesn't know the difference between left and right. No.
5: <laughs> Somebody can't hear the difference between left <laughs> and And he was having difficulty following simple instructions. <laughs>
3: Yeah. I mean, Susan also does at one point start making hand gestures, which really doesn't help because nope. he is blindfolded. Blindfold. And yeah, we get to the end. Steve says that Susan doesn't know the difference between left and right. And Susan's like, no, I do. You just can't hear the difference between left and right. I. It made me laugh. It's it's bickering. It's banter. It's funny. If both teams were just like Sam and David, that challenge would have been boring. Yeah, you need this. It's a comedy show. And I think that's where
0: the criticisms against this show really came, was people were looking for this to be Games Master again, but this show's not trying to be Games Master. This is trying to be a comedy panel show. And at the end of the day, it needs to be a comedy panel show. That is, you're on Dave. You are not on the computer game channel. You're on Dave. You need to be a comedy show. So therefore, you need to have this people playing games badly and shouting about the fact they're playing games badly. That's the entertainment side of it.
3: I do find it ironic that people complained that this wasn't Games Master. And then when people did make a new version of Games Master, there were a number of people complaining of like, well, if you're not going to have the original hosts on board, why are you even calling it Games Master? Why don't you just call it something original? It's not even like the original Games Master. You should call it something different. And my brain goes, well, they did make something different, and they didn't call it Games Master, and you just complained that it wasn't Games Master. So make your fucking mind up. I don't think you know what you want. Well, no, they do know what they want. They want the exact thing they had 30 years ago. In
1: part two, we'll be playing Susan and David's favourite ever video games. Find out what they are when we return for more Go 8-Bit. <laughs>
4: Tina, I've been thinking. Oh, yeah? I couldn't do a thing without a copper. Ah, you're not the
1: only one, lad. Cos Britain's built on tea, you see, and that we can't ignore. Churchill
2: liked a brew or two or three, oh, well. we're fairly sure. A cuppa started rock and roll, it's obvious to see. And we'd like to think that 66 was one on cups and tea. Well, probably. From Nightingale to Bernie Queens, we think they'll all agree. The none of this would happen if they did.
1: Possibly, probably, maybe start Cafe. with tea. <laughs> ah, techly, it starts with tea. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices up
2: Storage Hunters UK is back. Look it off, mate.
5: Yeah! Oh my God!
2: With new
1: surprises. Ah, ah. And new whatever this is. What the hell's that? The brand new series of Storage Hunters UK starts tomorrow at eight,
2: new and exclusive to Dave. Or watch it now on UK TV Play. (laughs)
1: Welcome back to Go8 Bit, the episode recording Go8 Bit Ultra Competitive Edition. <laughs> Already tonight, we've seen Sam and David comprehensively lick Susan and Steve in our first game, Tetris. Now, we ask our two guests to delve <laughs> what <laughs> I meant in a sporting sense. Um, that was comprehensive. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You've never sexually comprehensively licked yeah. somebody.
6: he's going to be gay
1: There's hardly a bit of me you didn't cover there. <laughs> It wasn't nice, but it was comprehensive, yeah. I'll give
3: you that And we're back with Colon Ultra Competitive Edition, which was my alternative intro line. <laughs> I am Ash versus Colon Ultra Competitive Edition. And um, this is where we also get the line about comprehensively licking each other. It's very
0: good Dara material, this. Oh, there's hardly a bit of me that you didn't get there. It wasn't nice, but it was comprehensive. <laughs>
3: I'd love that as a write up of someone on Tinder. Like, how did your date go? They were very comprehensive. <laughs> so, let's
0: get into our next challenge. And it's Susan's game to pick first. What are we playing?
5: Um, I've chosen Chucky e. Egg. <laughs> and uh, it's been about 30 years since I played this. Okay. Uh, so, I have fond memories. But it
3: may be awful. We went almost 180, 190 episodes with barely a mention of Chucky e. Egg. The only real eggs we'd had mentioned for the most part was occasional Dizzy. And yet here we are, what, third, fourth time round for Chucky e. Egg at this point? Can't escape this bloody game, although at least here,
0: we're actually seeing it. Oftentimes when they're talking about Chucky Egg, it's just talking about it in passing or we just see the title screen. We're going to get like a full-on challenge of Chucky Egg this time
3: round. And this is a good one because this, like Tetris, gets a full cheer from the audience because even people that haven't picked up a video game since the 1980s are like... I remember Chucky e. Egg. But to find out a little bit more about Chucky e. Egg, let's head it on over to Ellie.
6: Video games were pretty weird in the 80s. Take the shaky game where you had to rescue Shakin' Stevens from vampires for some reason. Or the Oregon Trail, which had jolly themes like typhoid and cholera. And, of course, Chucky e. Egg, the game that captured all the fun of mass-scale battery chicken farming. <laughs> Creator Nigel Alderton began programming when he was just 13 and finished Chuck Egg in his school holidays at the age of 16. It was released in 1983 and went on to sell more than a million copies. Alderton was inspired by arcade classics Space Panic and Donkey Kong, which explains why there are so many ladders in the game, but not why it sounds like a flatulent fax machine. Playing as Hen House Harry, your job is to collect a dozen eggs from each level. Watch out for Mother Duck, because once she escapes from her cage, she'll fly around trying to peck you to death. Presumably before being recaptured and left to eat her young while standing in a pile of her own faeces. Isn't farming fun?
3: Now, I do do just want to say, The Shaky Game was not a commercial release, or at least not in the sense that you were thinking. It was, as far as I can tell, on the B side of a single. So possibly an album as well but basically at the end of the b-side of this old house you had this game called uh, the shaky game where yeah you had to rescue shaky stevens in a kind of reverse maze type game it's almost like a uh, night trap but with shaking stevens instead so now i want an actual night trap but where shaking stevens is actually the vampires so it's not even that all the girls have being replaced with Shaken, it's that all the vampires are wearing Shaken Stevens masks.
0: We even get a shout out to Oregon Trail on this show. So you talk about like, the games. I feel like Oregon Trail is one of those other the games.
3: And even at this point, I mean it's here talking about the original version of Oregon Trail, only about 4-5 or five years previously another version of the game had come out for the Wii and 3DS. It was immensely negatively received but the fact is the oregon trail was still around at this time and can still actually be bought today for various platforms i don't think this game sounds like a flatulent fax machine though it's a bit of a reach i mean to me i mean okay you know what it does but so do most other spectrum games it's fair, kind of it fair. was the style at the time it was the style of the time
0: it's like dial in dial up internet was like, what, what sounds shall we take? And then I played a ZX Spectrum and was like, aha, these are the sounds that we should take when we're making dial-up
3: noises. The sounds of data being played as audio. Amazing that that would also be used for something that involves telephone lines. And amazingly, what we next
0: get is a conversation about the difference between bootlegging and piracy.
5: Um, we never know. All I know is that in those days, uh, you got bootleg tapes from your friends, and it was written in bio tucky Egg, and they used to swap tapes around.
4: I like the way you said bootleg. Bootleg wasn't a pirate, was it? Bootleg was all right, but pirate yeah, was all wrong.
5: everyone used to have your blazers with stuff full of tapes of different <laughs> games, and you would swap them. It was great. In those days, when copyright was less of an issue... <laughs> you
4: used
5: to just swap games. It was good crime. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, crime. It was a happy, it crime. Was, it was a happy crime. It was oh, yeah. a happy who got hurt apart from the people who made the games. Yeah, probably yeah. sure. <laughs> they didn't know they were getting hurt. Exactly. The fact I grew up to be an intellectual property and copyright specialist, I'm now remembering that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, well, I mean, whoa, well, I mean look, we're talking about trading tapes in the playground here. I mean, that's not piracy. That's, no, it was, that's just it's copying not. a tape. Well, of course, I'm not saying I'm stealing anything. Absolutely no, not. It would be uh, insane to suggest
0: that I have stolen something there.
3: No, I'm just taking this game, which I may own or maybe a copy someone else had gave, given me, and I'm just copying it to another tape to give to my friend. I'm not stealing it from anyone.
0: No, I don't know why you keep coming after me, Lars Ulrich. I'm not stealing things from you.
3: I mean, we're just you, we're just we're just copying one tape to another. I mean, you yeah. wouldn't steal an egg. No, you uh, absolutely you wouldn't steal an egg, and if you did, the the hen might come after you. Although they also appear to be ducks. I'm quite confused by this because we get multiple references to ducks, but Luke, we are in a hen house. Well, I mean, there's all speaking of confusion. Ash, there's
0: there's big confusion here about how chickens lay eggs. Have
1: you ever collected <laughs> eggs in a, in a real life context? Have you ever? My mum had you a fond chick- chicken. eggs? My has some you, chickens. <laughs> your mother had chickens, but they were very nervous chickens, and I didn't realise that they they laid eggs and the shells would never harden. Because that's how chickens... Oh, they'll be shouting in your ear in a minute. Uh, <laughs> the chickens don't have massive bum holes. <laughs> the, the egg, it comes out, and it's soft, and when it hits the air, it hardens.
6: Does it come out of their bum
1: holes? It, it doesn't, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> they have bum holes. <laughs>
6: I've, given, I've given birth twice, and I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> no, 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 no. look out. They've
4: got, they've got, like, they've got bum things. They've got, They've got, they've got bones, bones, bones. bones. But they have honestly? So let's say
1: I have chickens. No, it's funny because in my ear they're saying, "No, tell us more."
5: <laughs> it's great. It's like the spring watch. <laughs>
3: yes, because Sam, Sam keeps chickens, and it's like, oh great, we're yeah. going to get some chicken keeping facts, and he basically tells what I already know about eggs being laid in general, which is. They leave the body of the laying bird quite soft, and then they harden in the air. In the exact same way that a human baby, the skull is not fully formed
0: so that it can get out, essentially. And then over time, the skull hardens. Freaks you out when you can see a baby's brain pulsating, and it lasts way longer than you think.
3: Yeah. I mean, I've not experienced it directly, other than when it happened to me as a baby, but I do know exactly what you're talking about. But where Sam falls apart a little bit is when he justifies this behaviour by going, because, you know, chickens don't have massive bums. You know, their bum holes are quite small. And both Dara and Ellie get whiplash of going, (laughs) what now? Does he he come out of their butt? (laughs)
0: Ellie's line up. I've given birth twice and I don't think that's how it works
3: now they are right it's not how it works but sam is also kind of right because if you look at the uh the, the, the human female the woman by birth you've got one bit for the p one bit for the uh the pregante and the birth you know they're quite close together but they are mm-hmm. different yeah, yeah different and then you got the butt for for butt related stuff they're they're, they're Kind of three separate but connected things, like a row of local shops where you've got your news agent, your greengrocers, and your butchers. Exactly. What you got here is pea pregnancy beads. That's exactly that's exactly it. But what you got with a chicken is more like a Tesco Extra, where you go to one place and you can go and use their toilets. Uh you can go buy some bananas and you can also get some beans you you can get it all in one place because basically there's it's a it's a multifunction root shall we say so technically kind of yes it's the butt but it's also not the butt it's kind of adjacent to it. it's a it's a multi tool it's, well, it's a swiss it's, army knife orifice it's how sam describes as a bumgina i cannot think of a better way to say it Conversely, I also can't think of a worse way to say it. I think "bumjina" is a word we should never hear again, apart from when you put the clip here, where he says "bumjina." They've
4: got like, they've got things.
3: Him also shouting, "I've got
0: chickens!" <laughs> in this exasperated tone of "I do know what I'm talking about here." Really made me laugh. I love Sam on this show. I think Sam's an
3: is a natural on TV. Uh, i think he's superb it's just a great segment because also it comes out of nowhere it's just like oh we're going to talk about did you play Chucky egg and sam's like no no i keep chickens he's thinking oh i've got some world experience that i can bring and i can make myself look good on television and he's I can doing give great you the
0: fun fact i can give you the
3: fun fact about how, how eggs are made
0: or and eggs he are ends late, up rather. with
3: bum joiners bum joiners and
0: shouting i've got chickens
3: And Susan going, this is great. It's like the
0: spring watch. So Ellie, what are the rules of our game?
6: Susan is taking on Sam now. They'll be racing to see who can collect all their eggs first.
0: Nice and simple. We find out that our scores are 64% to Susan and 36% to Sam. So 64 points up for grab here. The theory being, the audience will tell you, Sam does not like this game and Susan is coming at it from a position of advantage having grown up with this game although by her own admission at the start she has not played it for 30 years so maybe this was not the best choice of game for her to pick
3: i do also appreciate that going by the footage we see they are using period appropriate joysticks i really really like that but i think there is a key difference here as well and this is perhaps where both of them come croppers a bit in that nine times out of ten I'm playing with a D-pad nowadays, or a little thumb nubbin if it's an analog stick. 8-bit era, it was all joysticks. You didn't really get joypads for your old Spectrums and your Commodores and your CPCs. And I do find that when I go back to playing with those sticks, particularly the very kind of stiff sticks that are just like very gated movement, I struggle. Mm. And I think there's a lot of cock-ups we see in this challenge Part of them are down to latency. In fact, one of the major ones, I think, is down to the lag to the screen. And the other is, I'm not used to playing with a joystick anymore. Also, cock up. I see what you did there. So Thank you. the audience put their faith
0: in Susan, and she rewards that faith by immediately dying.
3: Now, you have four directional control in this game and a jump button. However, you need to time the jump button. And if there is latency between you and the screen, your timing gonna be fucked you're gonna hit that jump button too late and on top of that and we see this as a, as a classic example
0: early doors in this challenge when susan walks up the ladder and then presses right to go right on the girder what she's doing is pressing right and jump at the same time the same you would do mario for example that is not what you need to do here you need to stop and press jump your character will jump forward without you telling the directional button which way I'm going here. So she just finds herself in this loop of just going round and falling down the hole before Steve says stop. Get to the top of the ladder and stop. Now press the jump button and then she gets over it. But the more baffling one I think and again this is, you know, pure it's comedian chaos to to add to this. She gets into this loop of going up a ladder, moving left and falling off a falling off the girder that she's on going up the ladder, moving left, falling off a girder. She is nowhere near any X. And
3: she is just going round and round and round and round. I think this is a glitch because it's not that she just makes the same mistake over and over. It's an identical movement and pacing pattern. I think there was some sort of DI input glitch on that because it didn't even look like she was actually consciously doing it. So I'm wondering, is was there a... Was there some sort of game glitch going on? Because these games are running under emulation, as far as I can tell.
0: Yeah, the alternative it's that. She doesn't mention it, but the the, the alternative take on that is that she doesn't want to bring it up. Or she did bring it up, they've cut it out of the edits because they don't need the challenges to look bad or the games to look bad or anything. But she does not kick up any fuss that that she's
3: doing that that what she is doing is wrong or the game is not working properly. And it's a shame though, because Susan has The proper stance of a dedicated gamer. Dara makes a comment about her disappearing down a hole right at the beginning, and it's because she has assumed the gamer position, she's hunched up, she's hunched over, and I saw that and I'm like, oh shit, that's what I look like when I'm playing a game downstairs that's really got my attention, when I kind of lean forward off the edge of the sofa. But Steve is enjoying it, even though the challenge isn't going well, because he's like, ha, it's my turn to shout at you now. Sam, on the other hand, much like this first challenge, is just playing it
0: cool. And he's going around, he's collecting his eggs, dies a couple of times. But, like, while Susan is, for lack of a better word, fannying around on this uh, animation loop that she seems to be stuck in, Sam's got like eight, Sam's got like seven eggs. And then he just wins as Susan dies once again. It's another win for team Sam and David.
3: Doa does accurately sum up the gameplay overall by saying, well, they are both actually terrible at this game.
1: Susan, those hours of effort didn't pay off, did they? <laughs> you have been better uh, to get some sleep, I feel. <laughs> um, I am
5: genuinely quite upset about that.
0: <laughs> Susan in the post-match just being like, I am genuinely quite upset about that.
3: I can understand that because, ah, she said she was quite upset about that. Is that the closest we're gonna to get to an indicator that maybe something was a little pony? Or she is just upset that she is very bad at this game.
0: Because this is this is this is the only round you get to pick. Let me have my foil hat moment, Luke. <laughs> it's a conspiracy. They then replay that moment again and again and again and again and again. And it is very, very funny, and Susan's having a good time with it. It's a comedy panel show. But it does mean that we have 64 points going to Sam and David as we head into our next challenge, this one chosen by England goalkeeper David James. So what are we going to play?
3: Second. I mean, this is a game we've talked about a lot.
0: It's a return to a Games Master Classic for us here.
3: Although I don't think we mentioned the Katsuhiro Harada story that Ellie gives to us of hiding his involvement because of the familial shame. Oh, no, this game's too violent. And then being on the front page of a magazine promoting it 10 years later. So, yeah,
0: let's dive into that, Ellie. Tell us a little bit more about this game.
6: The original Tekken was released in 1994. It was one of the first fighting games to showcase 3D graphics, the first PlayStation game to sell a million copies, and the first beat-em-up to feature a kangaroo in a bikini called Roger. (laughs) Tekken was created by Katsuhiro Harada. He was worried his family would think the game was too violent, so he kept his job a secret from them for 10 years. His cover was blown when his mum saw him promoting Tekken 5 on the front of a magazine. Harada was sent to bed without any tea, which was particularly embarrassing as by then he was 34. Today the game is still popular with fans and there's even a Tekken museum in Osaka. Here you can see memorabilia, original artwork and knife-sized statues of Jin and Kazuya. Don't know about you, but I'd swap those for the Elgin marbles any day.
3: Now, David James has already mentioned Tekken once on this episode by saying it's one of the two games that's reason why he was crapping gold because he was up all night playing this or tomb raider and yet i am wondering what part of tekken he was playing because he says you know if you're playing against the computer you can win this by basically just crouching down and kicking them in the shins it is a tactic it doesn't 100% work but it does kind of work and he also admits when your mates come over they kick your ass because that doesn't work against humans because they're like stop doing that Humans will dodge it. the computers yeah so i have to wonder does that mean that david just spent hours and hours and hours playing this game against the computer just crouching and kicking or is,
0: is it just it's a funny thing that he said because that was what i that's how i read it was just i'm making a joke about playing this game i'm going on to a comedy show i've got some material prepared. Um, you can just win by just doing this. It's funny, because Steve actually then does it in the fight itself, and they are like, oh, it's the David James tactic. But David is very upfront by, like, if you're playing against the beauty, you can win this game pretty easily. The second you play against humans, it's a totally different ball game. And he re- repeats that ad nauseum throughout this challenge from, you know, if he's losing, it's just like, I can't play against humans. I cannot play against humans. Or Steve. Or yeah, or Steve in particular, but it's a it's a fun challenge to have, and it's you know we've had a nice little variety there: puzzler at the start, very retro eight bit before that, and now we're on to a one-on-one fighter, and it's it's a great bit of like progression through
3: the episode. But we've heard what David thinks of Tekken, so we go over to Steve to find out what his opinions in the game is, and this is the moment when David James. One hundred percent turns heel on the audience.
2: Steve, what are your plans right now? <laughs> and fighting games, I do like fighting games. I'm I'm, I'm all right at uh, Virtual Fighter. I'm good at Mortal Kombat. I'm, I'm... Mm. <laughs> Mortal, Kombat.
4: <laughs> Mortal Kombat was a load of photos sort of stuck together-ish. <laughs> <laughs> at least in second, they yeah. kind of you made the move of these different photos going David like David James,
5: that. this is an audience of people whose entire life is video games. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've insulted.
2: Who
4: not, who the, like you've essentially combat. insulted right their it, sister. No, at the Don't get me
2: started on Street Fighter. Oh. Oh, Street Fighter. <laughs> <Williams>. <laughs> they turn
4: quickly. Do you come after Street Fighter? Like Street Fighter? I used to like Street Fighter.
5: Right. And then what happened?
4: Tekken came along. He's right. Wow. He's right. No. <laughs> oh, I, I not. never do played know, Tekken. But you know what that is?
5: It's people who said they like Kylie Minogue, then Danny Minogue came along. It's selfish. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Booing Mortal Kombat. I mean, look, it's quite a statement to make that Mortal Kombat was just photos fighting each other. Yeah, I think it, it is photos a little stuck bit, together-ish. It's a little bit more than that. I, I take what you are trying to say, but I think we are just just saying ah, it's just photos fighting each other. That.
3: Susan's the one that points out that's like this audience is made up mostly of people whose entire life of video games. You've just insulted their sister, and David just doubles down and goes, well, "Don't down. get me started on Street Fighter." That's it.
0: He knows what audience he is in. There's like, "Don't get me started on Street Fighter."
3: Right, James Outback. I'm going to Tiger uppercut you in the bracket.
0: The thing is, though, is in all of this because he's there talking about how, like, you know, not he's having a pop at Street Fighter, and he's like, "Look, I like Street Fighter." And then Tekken came around and Tekken was better. Dara backs him up. Dara says he's not wrong. Like, he is right that Tekken is better than Street Fighter.
3: Now, do you think Dara actually believes that? Or yes. was he just trying? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, the, other th- genu- the uh, Dara's reaction is,
0: I'm in, having a chat about video game with my friends now. And I agree with that one.
3: I <laughs> uh, see. I also thought if Dara was just stepping in because Sam wasn't saying anything... But Steve and Susan and the audience were all looking at David like, yeah, he'd just called their sister fat. So I'm wondering if Darva was like, maybe I should step in as host of this show and just kind of like ease up things on the break a little.
0: Susan diving in to be like, this is just like when people liked Kylie Minogue and then Danny came along and was more popular. I don't think that ever really happens.
3: No, I mean, Kylie Minogue came along, then Danny Minogue came along. And I think all through that, I was a bigger fan of Kylie Minogue. As was most of the world, I would argue. And I'd argue still is. So let's get into the
0: rules for our challenge. Ellie, what are they?
6: Steve will be fighting as king, while David will be playing as law. The winner will be the first player to win three bouts.
0: Nice and simple, but it is key to point out there, it is not the best of three rounds, it's the first to three wins.
3: Yeah, it's a... uh... It's best of five. It's a best of five. Yeah, there we go. Uh,
0: the points are divided up to be 61% for David, 39% for Steve. So you kind of like look at the three different scores we've had thus far. They've borderline been the same.
3: Although this one is a little bit closer, and I'm wondering if that's a few people in the audience that just voted for Susan and Steve on the basis of they like Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat.
0: Very well could be. Or they're just like, Steve is our pro player here. Sam is not. Steve is our pro player here. So it's like, well, he's going up against the pro. So let's find out what happens.
3: But by Steve's own admission, he's never played Tekken.
0: And hilariously, he crouches and kicks the very thing that David said he was going to do. Steve employs it first and gets some moves in and he gets the win. Immediately, David James, he's been practising... He's been practising. He's he's a liar. He's been practising. And he looks genuinely annoyed that he lost the first round. Genuinely
3: irritated. This is the point, I think, where the competitive streak on David James really starts to show through. Because from this point onwards, he loses a couple of different rounds and a couple of different challenges... And he's getting oh, it's a little bit salty in here, isn't it? He is getting salty, and uh, you know, one of my
0: the aspects of my job is playing games competitively against others, board games usually, but also video games as well. And there are some people that I work with who are salty when they lose, and I know that face—the face that David James has—I know that face, and I've seen it on my colleagues, the salty expression of. I am not having fun anymore. This has stopped being fun now.
3: Now, we've talked about you not being super competitive at games. We mostly talked about it off mic. We were talking about other things. Is there a game that you will get super competitive at and you will get salty if you lose? It can be any think, game from any time of your life.
0: I don't think I've ever really got like salty when I, lo- I, when I was a teenager and I was a bit more hormonal. I certainly would do. I remember throwing a controller once because I lost a Pro Evo. Um but like that's kind of it, I think. And that was just more like that's just raging teenage hormones and not being able to and that and not knowing what to do with your emotions. I don't think I've in recent times like playing speedrunners, I think it's probably the game I'm it's because I'm good at it and I'm playing it with people who are also good at it. We get quite like if I win, I'll get like a, i got proper, yeah, I got I, I won there. But I i I'm never salty at a loss. Mostly because if you lose at speedruns, it's like, worst game? the next game is about to
3: start. That's fair. I mean, I'm i actually the same. I am very competitive. But a great example is my recent time online playing Street Fighter Six, And actually, the same would apply to Street Fighter Four when I played that online. I'm generally not annoyed at being beaten. I'm annoyed at myself sometimes if I keep making the same mistakes. But if I lose to someone on Street Fighter Six, and people that have watched me stream will see this already, I'll be like, yeah, yeah. I deserved to lose there. I was playing like a scrubby-ass Ken player, and they just absolutely killed me. I suffered my first perfect loss on stream last night, and I was like, yeah, I, I deserved that. And when they didn't choose a rematch, I was like, I'm not surprised. I have nothing to offer them at this point.
0: <laughs> Let's move on. It's not that I don't... It, it, what's the word I'm after? It's not that I don't like losing. I'm not a sore loser. I don't like to lose but i'm not a sore loser I, I think it's perhaps one way to put it clock tower is a very good example of this when playing blood on the clock tower if i lose on blood on the clock tower it's usually because i have made a mistake somewhere along the way or someone has made a mistake and it has influenced the rest of the game but i'm never sore about it i will replay it in my head for a, a few days later and be like often oh, i've said this and i've said this and i've said this but in the moment at the time I'm just like, well, that's how the game went, and that is how the cookie crumbles, and I don't mind it. It's a bit of fun at the end of the day.
3: I mean, say me and you ended up going head to head at a live event, we'd play it up. Oh well, but yeah, you got to. If you're on camera,
4: yeah. you
0: do have to play it up because I'm sure there are people who be listening to this who have watched me play through my GM modes on ww2k23 for a video series that i make it will be like you seem ultra competitive on that you, as a as lot of times you do have to play it for the, the camera you've got a it's, it's an entertainment show i'm not faking it but i am getting into it and the height that the heightenedness of that of getting into it brings out this this overly competitive side of me but the second that camera rolling, I was like, ah, it's fine, you know, I'm losing, but it's okay.
3: Weirdly, going back to that Games Master reboot and that option, which was on the table of us doing a challenge against each other, there was a couple of reasons I didn't want to do it. But I think one of the other ones that occurred to me, and it's particularly seeing how some people perceive on screen or on mic relations and stuff like that, is I could see some people making a bigger beef out of it than there ever was. In fact, there wouldn't be a beef. If we played Mario Kart 64, against each other yeah which we have but if we'd done that on screen for games master and you'd won i'd have been like cool you know i'd have played it up on screen but i'd be like that was awesome luke won good on luke and i think the same would be true in reverse but other people would be like no you should do this you should do that you should get revenge and i'm like no (laughs) like if we decide to do a bit we'll do a bit but there's no should in this yeah it's a, bit of,
0: it's a bit of lark at the end of the day. It's video games at the end of the day. It's board games at the end of the day. It's, it's a bit of silly entertainment.
3: Although when we did play Mario Kart 64, we won one race each, and that was great.
0: Drew it to a close there.
3: Don't need to play this one
0: again. We're one all. That's fine. Don't yeah. need that rubber match.
3: That actually shows how uncompetitive we are, <laughs> is the fact we didn't feel the need for a rubber match. We were just like, we've both won a race apiece. That's fine.
0: The only reason to have had a rubber match there is because I like playing Mario Kart 64
3: same anyway david did basically give steve the way to win this fight and despite knowing this tactic despite giving this tactic boy howdy mr james does fall for it an awful lot
0: yeah and when you get into that second round there's again a lot of those kicks and the crouching kicks and stuff this one's way closer this one is one of those nat's dick levels of health left on both competitors. Like that at one point, Sam is getting so into this and he's yelling at Dave, You cannot get hit again. You cannot get hit again. But he does. Steve has gone two up and he is out David James'
3: David James. Dara says the more this goes on, the more unbelievably tense it gets. And he's right. This is like watching two masters play chess. Unfortunately, both of those masters are kind of drunk and stumbling around outside a kebab shop at two in the morning. But the analogy still carries because what we are seeing, probably some of the worst Tekken gameplay we've ever had on this podcast. This is Tekken gameplaying if Tekken had come out in series
0: two of Games Master.
3: I think even then that would have been better because they'd have just been wailing at each other. They wouldn't have been trying to apply, they wouldn't have been backing off. You mm. know, whereas there is a moment in this fight where I think the screen is maximum zoomed out. It's because David James loves the run animation, clearly, because he is just at times
0: running full pelt uh, at, towards Steve to do a move. It's like, if I back up
3: far enough, the momentum will carry me forward. I mean, early tech and martial law. That is the way to do it. You know, you use that run. You get those combos in. He's got some really nice running moves.
0: He's getting his excuses in is David James. I'm not good against other people, but pretty comprehensively does take round three to bring it back to 2-1. And Steve is there slumped in his chair. just like, I feel sick. I just feel sick. Susan offers him a bucket. Round four is, again, very even. Very, very even. And it really does come down to a couple of kicks at the end. Here's how tense this final round is. And this kind of goes back into the the comments I was making earlier about the commentary for this. Ellie has got a bit. She wants to do a bit. That bit is, I do not understand what football is. So she's trying to make a football joke. Dara is... Is not listening.
6: David James's face—he looks oh, like he's about to. It's gonna go to Oh He looks like he's about to try and catch a ball. Is that, is oh, that it, it it, it's not. It is, um, is, is that
4: movie, 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 <laughs> T- tight.
0: Dara has not got any time for Ellie's bits, diamondism, as he is just focused on the screen and the tension that is on hand as. Both of these guys are whittling down and whittling down and whittling down each other's health until David James wins. It's quite remarkable. Now, and it's why I was glad we did this episode, because I think this is, while not great tech and playing, the fact that we are now at two all going into the final round is really, really entertaining. I had a blast with this challenge.
3: And I love that by the end of that fourth round, Susan is climbing over the back of the sofa with tension. She's, it's the horror film thing of like, I must escape up this vertical surface. So funny. I will say on the commentary, because again, we said commentary is difficult. Very hard. It's not easy. With the use of those lip ribbon mics, particularly with the fact they used those lip ribbon mics so the mouth was covered, they could have overdubbed this. This is the curse of video game TV shows, Luke. One take. <laughs>
0: We don't have time to re-record commentary.
3: The annoying thing is they could have even done it in the same studio, just with playback. Yeah. So you could have had any, if you are going to get any bleed through, you could have had the same thing. So we come into round five. It all comes down
0: to this. It's for all the bananas. Well, 61 points. Can Steve pull this off or can David James make the great comeback? And all of a sudden, for whatever reason, Steve dominates. Absolutely smashes and annihilates and he wins perfect such a surprise is steve winning perfect dara even says during the fight he might win perfect here with a tone of but he won't and then steve does and david james throws the pad is gutted
3: it's one thing to lose to someone that hasn't really played a game a game that you have stated not even on this show but in the press you sat up all night playing and that in fact you hold accountable for taking three goals in a match and you just got beat with crouching kicks
0: (laughs) scrubby tekken playing
3: oh it was the scrubbiest but steve deserves every ounce of joy he's getting for this he is laughing like woody woodpecker again and i can't blame him
2: It must have been uh, it must <laughs> yeah. be fun beating David James at Tekken as well. well I cheated on that? I, got, I actually I got a bollocking <laughs> on set for that because he was really good. And one of the secrets in the original live show was me and Sam would always be better or worse at the games to make it close. So if one team was winning lots, by having me and Sam play, we could sort of get mm-hmm. keep it interesting narratively for the so the sort of narrative arc of the show. Uh, and so that was one of the first ones we filmed the cam in fact it was i think it no it wasn't the first the first one was um gorman and Josie long was the first one we filmed but uh, i think they thought the camera was the best one which it was uh, but yeah so I, when uh, the menu came up i uh, bumped up the uh, light uh, what do you call it The the sort of um handicap thing so right. I, I made his punches uh, less effective than mine <laughs> And they didn't see it on the studio floor because I knew they wouldn't. But I know I could, as a game, I know I could get away with that. And then this will probably be a bit closer because I thought he was going to kick my ass. <laughs> mm, yeah. But, uh, Simon spotted it backstage and uh, mentioned it to one of the crew. And I, I got a right bollocking for that. Like, I, th- <laughs> I think in their head, they were like, well, that's that's cheating and you can't do that. And you go, gamers cheat. Like, absolutely call me out on it in the show. And I'll, I'll put my hands up. But that's what you would do. If you thought you were going to get beat and you could get away with it, you'd change the difficulty. <laughs> I don't, it's, no one is betting on it It's not It's, it's not going to be like Like if I drugged a horse Before a big race No one watching Or in Ofcom Cares that I cheated on Tekken But yeah They were all Very worried That that was somehow Going to be an, an issue But it wasn't After the break Our teams
1: will be Feeling the force When we play One of the year's Biggest games When we return for more Go 8-Bit
0: Extreme 3 by Wilkinson Sword. Three flexible blades that uniquely adapt to any contour for optimum comfort. For any twist or turn, life hands you. Extreme 3 by
1: Wilkinson Sword. The perfect match for him and her. Great offers available in store. Wilkinson Sword, free your skin. From sea ice the size of Australia to predators the size of a snail, one man has spent his life teaching the world about planet Earth. Bizarre creatures appear as if from nowhere. Yesterday celebrates Sir David Attenborough's 90th birthday.
3: This ancient ravaged tree, it's over 4,000 years old.
1: With a week of his most majestic adventures yet, This is a big team. Attenborough at 90 starts Saturday from 7 on Yesterday. Welcome back to Go Ape It. I'm joined by Sam and David, who are leading Steve and Susan in tonight's video gaming face-off.
3: And we're back from the ad break. And my God, i have forgotten how many ad breaks you got on Dave at this period of time on an hour-long show. Bloody hell.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, well, we'll find this out when we get into the Games Master reboot as well, getting used to those three ad break shows.
3: Oh, man, because, yeah, of course, when we watched it the first time, we were just watching the E4 versions.
0: Yeah, or the YouTube rips. And all the, like, well
3: all the um the, the, because of course we had the press screenings
0: yeah but sometimes they send us the youtube version of it like this is just the youtube upload but yeah other we just had here's the e4 thing without the ad breaks um we're gonna be watching with the ad breaks this time
3: that'll be fun but we have one more regular ish challenge to go yeah. before the grand finale sam and david are leading steve and susan can still catch it up But Ellie, what's next?
6: It's got guns, it's got space, it's got more snow than Facebook after a light flurry. It's Star Wars Battlefront. (laughs) Since the original film was released in 1977, there have been more than 100 Star Wars video games. Of these, approximately 95% have been rubbish. The worst offenders include Yoda stories. Imagine Pokemon, but with more sand and no fun. Then there was Star Wars Episode 1, The Gungan Frontier. Yeah, George, because what we really wanted was more Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) Most terrible of all was 2012's Kinect Star Wars, with its galactic dance-off minigame, in which two of the coolest characters in history are stripped of all the credibility they ever had, while George Lucas takes a giant racehorse wee-wee over the final remains of his already soiled legacy. (laughs) Anyway, the good news is that Battlefront breaks with tradition by being a great Star Wars game. It's an action shooter where you can play as Luke, Leia, Darth Vader and even Boba Fett. Sadly, however, there's no option to waterboard Jar Jar Binks repeatedly in the Millennium Falcon toilet while crying, Why, George? Why? Why?
0: I was thinking about this game because you and I had that conversation on last week's episode. I don't know how much we we kept in it in the end about the good Star Wars game versus bad Star Wars games. God, this came
3: back to haunt me. (laughs) I need to edit all of it out.
0: It's what Ellie brings up here, that there have been lots of Star Wars games, but 95% of them have been CAC. And... But one of the great things that Star Wars games have is that modern-era Star Wars games are much, much better now. And Star Wars Battlefront, and particularly its sequel, Star Wars Battlefront 2, maybe not the one that came out a couple of years ago, but these ones, the the PS2 ones, were, like, you know, very, very highly regarded. And people really, really liked them. And this is a very interesting point in star wars history because what we have here is a star wars game being released before a brand new star wars movie with stuff and features that are going to be in the new star wars movie the level that this is on is on jakku that's a new planet that's a new place and there was controversy around the release of star wars battlefront um, particularly for a website i was writing for at the time because when disney bought star wars they wrote well they their decree was everything that isn't the movies is now non-canon it is elseworld stuff it's all being written out the star wars canon is being reset and the only thing that is true and genuine are these six movies and the clone wars that's it everything else that's coming out from this that includes comic books uh, tv shows and in particular video games is canon and within a trailer for this and they bring this up here in this piece boba fett's in it boba fett is in the trailer for it and how star wars and how star wars fans reacted to it was like so boba fett's alive this was the confirmation that star wars fans were looking for that boba fett's alive and he's going to be coming back at some point in a star wars project and this article that 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 you know that someone wrote for our website blew up and became a bit of a viral thing because people got mad that people were making the assumption that Boba Fett was coming back just because he was featured in the game. But it was that mixed messaging of Disney saying that anything that's in a video game is canon. And people were like, but Boba Fett's here, and Darth Vader's here, and Luke Skywalker's here. Is this canon? And they didn't really have an answer for it. In the end, you know, the, the the writer could arguably vindicate, be vindicated by, it because it was confirmed that Boba Fett was alive and he did survive the Sarlacc pit and got his own TV series. Shite though it may have been, but this game was almost the, the start of that. It's just it's an, a very interesting time in Star Wars history. This game.
3: I mean, I remember like on the first podcast that I really did is we recorded an episode the um the day the rumors broke about you know. Disney buying Star Wars, there's going to be a new movie. J.J. Abrams is rumoured, at that point, rumoured to be involved. And we recorded it on one night. And not long after recording finished, it was confirmed that it was J.J. Abrams. So part of my edit process on that, before releasing it the next morning, and I think actually dropping one of the first in-depth podcasts on this subject matter, was during the edit, I went through and I cut all uses of the word removed and allegedly in relation to J.J. Abrams. Because it's like, well, fuck it, it's confirmed now yeah and it was a crazy time and i think a lot of people were thinking this is going to be the best thing for star wars a lot of people thought it's going to be the worst thing for star wars looking back with hindsight with eight years nine years whatever we've got now a decade almost i'm looking at it and going it's actually just star wars there's good yeah there's bad i don't think anything that the disney star wars have done is worse than anything. It happened under Lucasfilm and George Lucas. I mean, there's a, there's a Star Wars game mentioned here that I do not even know I heard of. I had never heard of Gungan Frontier, no, at all.
0: But this is you, the argument that you and I had. Argument's a strong ones, The bickering that you and I had when we were doing the Charlie Brooker uh, episode about Star Wars games. and I was making the argument that I think there are more bad Star Wars games than there are good ones. And That's because there's a lot of things like this star wars episode one had about 25 games released for it and arguably two or three of them are good so the vast majority of them are bad and it's star wars is just this franchise that's been farmed out into loads and loads and loads and loads of things it's quite easy to pick out bad star wars games you know they they pick out um you know uh, yoda stories in this because it's an easy one to be like this is a bad star wars game because it is they did an indiana jones version of uh, yoda stories yeah and because it's just like we just replaced the sprites and just put indiana jones in there instead and it's just equally as bad but i for me with with disney and star wars it's I, th- I i there's no star wars movie that is worse than attack of the clones it's a terrible terrible bad movie it's an it's a no good bad movie but i do think rise of skywalker comes close because rise of skywalker is a mess yeah attack of the clones is worse because it's boring actively boring and long but rise of skywalker is a mess of a movie my rise of skywalker is a more of a movie that is a an actual like beacon a banner of a studio that does not know what to do with this franchise anymore because they got such bad flack from a certain aspect a certain portion of a fan base for the last jedi that they course corrected so hard back to nostalgia and the nostalgia baiting that Abrams did with Force Awakens, but course-corrected too much, released a movie that was definitely directed by committee and just did everything they could to try and appease a certain subset of Star Wars fans and then ended up not pleasing anyone because it's not a good movie. It's an absolute mess of a film. And I think that was a real low point for the Star Wars franchise. And I think since then it's just been... I think they've almost killed interest. Like that, that killed the yearly release that they were doing, which was Mm. the plan. It was it was Force Awakens, Rogue One, Episode Eight, Han Solo, Episode Nine, the Boba Fett movie. They were going to be releasing Star Wars movies every December for the foreseeable future, and they killed it. They oversaturated it to a incredible degree. And I still think they're trying to recover from that with the TV series they do on Disney Plus. The point when if one's good, the reaction to it is like, "Oh my god, it's a good Star Wars show," and that's that's to be like a positive thing. Now Disney, uh, Marvel have got the exact same thing. If, yeah. if, if there's a good MCU show, it's like, "Oh wow, it's a good MCU show." That's a
3: change. I'll be honest; like, I will hold my hands up. I haven't finished watching the Obi One miniseries, and I haven't finished watching the latest Mandalorian. But it wasn't because I wasn't enjoying them; it's just because I ran out of time. I don't think there has been an unwatchable Star Wars Disney show. I think Boba Fett's biggest crime was they called it Boba Fett. They should have just called it Tales from the Mandalorian. They should have maybe added a couple more side stories in there from different characters and just had it called Tales from the Mandalorian. And then the, then you could have had the episodes with Mando in, you could have added the episodes with Boba in, and you could have still brought everyone together at the end. So it's kind of like a reverse branching story. You know, it's mm-hmm. like a, or an anthology with a framework basically over a mini series.
0: I'll be honest, you and I running like running long there talking about Star Wars and Star the history of Star Wars and Disney it might be because there's not a whole lot to actually say about this challenge either. This is this is quite a shit challenge
3: it's it's not a great one um i do want to give a special shout out to dara for once again bridging the nerd and the normal with the whole bit about star wars he talks about the wireframe star wars arcade game great reference all the gamers in the audience get it all the gamers on the panel get it but then he makes it work for the norms with his like of like oh you blow up the death star really quickly and then they rebuilt it and there was another death star it was like oh and there's another death star i mean they'd never do that in the films luke I love that joke because that lands for multiple audiences. But you're right, we get into the challenge and here's the issue. One of which is they're playing a first-person shooter on the other side of the studio. Previous games, you can probably get away with that. I think a first-person shooter, it's a mistake. Second of which is, we've got the golden eye problem. They can see each other's screens. And not only does that mean that they can both see where the other is, although I don't think it actually helps... What I do think is, it's a distraction. If I was fighting you on this, and there was a big screen over there with both of ours on, but I was looking at my screen and you were looking at your screen, I think it would be a much more coherent challenge and much easier to play.
0: Yeah, it's just, they are just finding each other, and one of them gets killed. Like, you know, Susan gets a kill early, she then kills David James again, and then david james gets to kill like they also there's this whole like get to 100 points which is kind of hard to track a little bit in terms of who's getting close to that so there's never any real like tension or drama or storytelling in the challenge it's just we watch them very badly fight each other and in the end susan wins and david james throws his pad down one more time in frustration that he's lost but it's it's not great the only thing i liked about this challenge was david james shouting i can't see her i can't see her because it just reminded me of the lad from uh, a new hope because i can't see him it's very funny then it's a star wars challenge
3: i do actually think that uh, dara and ellie did really well in this challenge because it was very confusing there wasn't a lot coherent to go on screen Ellie got some good jokes in about that's for 20 years of no pocket money, which, you know, it's true. Luke never got his pocket money. But hey, every Christmas, Luke was never wanting because Darth Vader, he sent his presents. That was a joke. It certainly was. I mean, there's no argument. It was a joke. (laughs) (laughs) I was really proud of that as well. Also,
0: the the punchline is he felt his presents.
3: No, he's also done he (laughs) sensed his presents. No, I, was
0: a, I I was uh, I thought felt his presence because he's literally feeling his presence. Yeah, I know, but that doesn't work in the context of the joke, clue, <laughs> Of course it works within the context of a joke. That's well, the no, punchline. That's the punchline, you... is like he doesn't want to go round because Darth Vader feels his presence.
3: Yeah, but that's creepy. I was trying to be <laughs> wholesome. Uh, I did like Sam trying to reassure David before the challenge on uh, Boba Fett not being shit. It's like, look, he's has got other victories. I love that. Yeah,
0: he's had fights. You just didn't see them. You just didn't see the fights, but they were really good and you liked those ones.
3: He didn't die. He just went to live on a big farm. <laughs> yeah, Susan wins by basically donkey punching David with a lightsaber repeatedly. She celebrates... And then goes to shake his hand and he's just like, sit down, off. <laughs> sit down. Realizing
0: he was a bit of a heel there, laughs it off. He was doing it as a joke. Shakes a hand and everything. And we now have a scoreboard of David and Sam on 126. Susan and Steve. What a comeback. 119. They are only seven points behind now.
1: Well, well, well. It's all to play for at the end. Coming up, our teams will get a skinful taking on a video game classic when we return for more Go 8-Bit.
4: I have made my perfect holiday Culture transfers and flights pictures <laughs>
1: SAVED A BUCKET where WE COULD REALLY GO TO town. Welcome, WELCOME TO THE TROUBLE REPUBLIC HOW
4: awesome I feel protected. Actor
3: David Hasselhoff, star of such hits as Baywatch and Knight Rider, may have died in what is being described as a tragic water sports accident. It's yes, said I'm dead. Great, isn't it? Whoa! Knight <laughs> Rider was fictional. Was it?
4: Celebrity! Gage! Fighting! Deliver speech
1: to the lunch. Is David Hasselhoff the most hated man in America? Have you
4: seen David Hasselhoff? He's American. Orange. He's got deep sadness behind the eyes. Could you just give me five minutes? The brand new series of Hoff
6: the Record. Coming soon, exclusive to Dave.
1: <laughs> Welcome back to Go A-fish. Sam and David, Susan, Steve, have been giving it their all over four video games in a bid to become tonight's champions. Only a few points between them and time for a final challenge. And it's all to play for because it's double
3: points, eh, right. <laughs> And we're back for the final part of this episode of Go 8-Bit. It is tense. Is only a few points between them. And hey, Luke, what would make that few points even less tense it's a double points round. It's double points, so it's whoever wins wins. Yeah, because yeah, no one's going to like. <laughs> there is no way that Susan and Steve are only going to get two percent of the votes. Although it would be funny,
0: but if they did, but they they can't because then it would just be this. It would be for ninety eight points.
3: Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> there is no. Sorry, I was thinking about my modified, rules, mo- that I'd modified you? yeah, rules I'd come up with. Your house rules. I was, I was, I was house rulesing it absolutely. But we're not just playing a standard game and we're not just playing it with some wacky rules. We're playing a custom game, but with a custom controller using a piece of technology called a Makey Makey, which I own. Really now? Yeah, I do. Uh, My partner got it for me for a Christmas present many years ago. In fact, probably around the time that this was being aired. It's great fun. It is really exactly what they show you on the screen here, which is you can turn. Anything conductive into a controller. Now, quite often bananas or Play Doh are the examples used, but there are way more entertaining and fun things as we're about to see.
6: There have been some pretty weird video game controllers over the years. Who could forget the Sega fishing rod, the Resident Evil chainsaw, the wee bowling ball, or that time Sony stuck a ping pong ball on an intimate massager? <laughs> For some reason we've always ended up going back to traditional controllers with their boring old buttons and sticks. But maybe that's all about to change thanks to two MIT students called Jay Silver and Eric Rosenbaum. They've invented Makey Makey, a kit containing a circuit board, crocodile clips and a USB cable. Using these items you can turn nearly anything into a game controller. Seriously anything. Bananas, jelly, donuts, small children, although it's a good idea to get permission for that last one. So is Makey Makey the future of gaming? Could be. Imagine combining this technology with virtual reality and being able to feel as well as see your way around games. Basically, we'll all be lost in a virtual world, and it will mean the end of emotional interaction, human achievement, and civilization as we know it. Then we'll all die because we forgot to eat.
4: Hooray!
0: I get Ellie's little history about controllers and stuff. Always good love a shout out for the, uh, the the fishing rod, the Dreamcast fishing rod, and. That Resident Evil 4 Chainsaw... Actually, if anything, this is like watching Stop Skeletons from Fighting's YouTube channel because he loves a wacky controller as well. That Resident Evil 4 Chainsaw controller was a big seller when I was working at GameStation because that's when it came out. And people coming in, seeing it up on the shelf, being like, oh, that's awesome. You buy it, you get another one back in stock and immediately someone else buys it. It's It's actually not easy to play Resident Evil 4 on it. Uh, but it's a bit of fun and it looks very, very funny.
3: It does. And it's it also, I mean, it, it's its a chainsaw. Yeah. What more can you possibly want? Uh, I did like the joke about the PlayStation Move because we've all seen them. We've all thought it. It,
0: it proper looks like a vibrator. Even when it yep. came out, everyone said, well, that looks like a vibrator now.
3: As opposed to the, uh, I think it was the Res controller that came out. Which was actually just a force feedback motor in a plastic case. And Luke, it was actually a vibrator. <laughs> but we get a bonus history lesson here from Ellie. We also see the Atari Mind Link, which we've talked about some weird mind control controllers, but I think I I don't think I've even mentioned the Mind Link. I was aware of it. Yeah. But I I'm think pretty this pretty may sure be this the first come- time I've seen a picture of it.
0: I'm pretty sure this has come up in our conversation before. Because I think it came up when we were doing the um, the one that Yuri Geller did uh, yeah. in Series Six, which we'd also talked about in Series Five, the Mind Drive. And I'm pretty sure like articles that we were reading at the time were referring to the Atari Mind Link and this idea of you know people trying previously to have controllers that or games that move just with the power of one's own mind. But as like Eddie points out, hey, it's just a prototype. And all it did was give people headaches.
3: Yeah, because it actually read, like, basically the creases in people's foreheads as they concentrated. So mostly that's why people got headaches, because they were furrowing their brow too much. They were basically kind of holding the position too much, so the muscles were going...
0: It's not really reading your mind.
3: No, it's reading your forehead.
0: But Ellie, what are we playing here?
6: We've created our own version of a classic arcade puzzler and remixed it with Makey Makey in a game I like to call...
3: Buster Moob Now I get that it's called Buster Moob But I think they thought that people would be playing this game differently Because the game doesn't really make sense Uh, The name doesn't really make sense as the game is played
0: No, there are no moobs involved here A couple of boobs in terms of Sam and Steve But there are no moobs on show Well, tell a lie, one person has got his moobs out
3: Yeah, he has and I actually know that person (laughs) But this is basically a, uh, a clone, if you will, of Buster Move, a favourite of this podcast and of you and me. Certainly one of our favourite challenges on that season of Games Master when we oh, had yeah. the multi-arcades going on. One of the challenges we would love to recreate, if possible. And for the final time, we rotate that turntable 90 degrees. But as has already been alluded to, and thanks to the Makey Makey, It's not going to be played in the usual way. So Ellie, for the last time tonight, what the hell's going on?
6: Susan and David will have to touch the bare skin of their new friends (laughs) to move their bubble gun left and right. Basically, Dara, it's witchcraft.
0: What we have here, because it's it's quite a visual thing, you know, in in the clip that you've just heard there, but we have four people in cosplay. We have someone as Dr. Robotnik, correctly called Dr. Robotnik by this audience as well. Take that, Japan.
3: But does also look like he just wandered in from a lineup parade on Buzzcocks. We have got Chun-Li. Not a great Chun-Li. We have Zangief. Who is otherwise known as uh, Pastor Bill Eva. Who used to wrestle for progress. I don't know if he's still wrestling now. He had a few problems a while ago. Uh, but I just saw him and I'm like, oh, I know that guy. <laughs> I've worked I've worked shows with him. That was that was quite surreal because genuinely, the first time I watched this, I didn't realise it was him. And then it was just when I was making notes on the second time. I'm like, huh. Ah. <laughs> I thought it was Gav Murphy at first. But our last
0: person on this lineup is quite funny. It's Cher.
3: And the, the the, the other panelists do immediately pick up on that of like, is, is she one of the extra characters in Street Fighter? And they're like, yes. And Darth yeah, like, yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. we ran out. Ran out of people to get. It's yeah. weird. Got they, two they, when it came to booking other
0: Street Fighter characters, they drew a blanker. Hey, now that's a good joke. Thank you. It's weird that we got two Street Fighter characters and Doctor Robotnik. You know, maybe we could have had a different, a third game in there, for example,
3: or another Sonic. Character. Or a non-sonic character, but Share
0: is, is a good punchline. They could have painted Cher blue. So David has got Robotnik and Chun-Li as his left and right, and Sam in front of him as his fire button, while Susan has got Zangief and Cher with Steve in front of her as her fire button. And we are going to watch them play Buster Move, with them tapping the arms of people in cosplay and then hitting the person in front of them in the back of their head to fire the balls. It's brilliant. This is genuinely brilliant. The visual of it is so weird and so funny, but the challenge itself is also really good because it does get its back and forth, and it gets quite tense.
3: I think this is one of those challenges where maybe they thought it would be more... Ridiculous to play than it actually turned out to be because calling it Buster Moob and also having like a guy with geef there that's mostly naked obviously had to, didn't have wrestling boots on because they all needed to be barefoot because of conductive nature. And so maybe they're thinking, oh, like every time she wants the thing to go right, she's going to have to slap his arm. Whereas actually, what happens is Susan is quite sensibly stood there looking like she's taking the pulse of sharing geef whilst also preparing to give Steve a prostate exam. It's quite kind of like, you don't get a lot of flailing arm movements apart from when she has to reach forward and tap Steve on the forehead. Mainly, she's just got her fingers out, just ready to tap one side or the other.
0: She's very flittering with her hand movements. She's very gentle with her lefts and her rights to make sure she's getting into the right position for uh, before she
3: fires. She's really good at this.
0: Yeah, she's great at this.
3: And Steve, thankfully for them, is a much better communicator than when the roles were reversed.
0: David James, on the other hand, also, is isn't like going wild with the the taps and stuff, particularly because the the Chun Lee cosplayer is a, an old deer. But he is proper slapping Sam for his fire face. bus in the face for great comedic effect. Just reach around being like, poof, round the forehead you go. It's really, really funny. But it's, you know, 69 points over grabs here. Nice. Apart from the fact it's not, it's actually it's double points, of course. And David James finds himself in a bit of bother early. Like, Susan's quite calm and collected, but David sort of finds himself in a bit of bother early. However, he does bounce one of the balls off the wall, so he gets the style points in my books.
3: I find it ironic that a man known primarily for using his hands is struggling with a task that definitely requires him to use his hands.
0: He is in real trouble and he needs a read and eventually actually clears it with a blue but hits one of the blue that's connecting all of the reds to everything else so loads of them come tumbling down so all of a sudden davy james can breathe a sigh of relief and we then cut across to see that susan is not having a good time she is in real trouble but she clears some blues but then the yellows get her in trouble so she clears them but now the reds are getting in trouble and she gets that shot that again Clears loads of them and loads of them tumble down to this amazing big cheer from the crowd as Susan has pulled this. It was an amazing moment. Because it genuinely was it like she could have lost on those blues and then she clears them, then she could have lost on those yellows and then clears them, could have lost on the reds and she clears them. But no sooner has she cleared those than we cut back to David James, who is really in trouble and he bollocks his shot and he loses. Susan Kalman is your winner for today
3: one of the real advantages they could have had of going back and looping the commentary and it's something that we will face as well and i'm surprised they didn't face more on games master is in challenges like this where the end comes out of nowhere and it's not that oh they died unexpectedly it's just a case of oh well it was head it was you know it was pvp and they were, yeah, the end just came out of nowhere. And it can happen quite easily on something like Buster Move because of how quickly you can just end up with a drop down and then boom, it's over the line, the game's over. But I, a hell of a decisive victory and a real, probably for the first time, affirmative sign of teamwork for this episode from Susan and Steve. Because Susan takes the directions well, and Steve is Steve, Steve's doing the same thing that uh, David was doing in that first game. He's giving very clear, concise directions. He's like, no, left a bit, right a bit, shoot it there. He's masterful at this. And it's actually probably the best challenge technically, which is funny as fuck, given that you are playing it by tapping Cher Zangief or punching your partner in the back of the head. That is
1: unbelievable. The winners are Buster Move and the double points go to Steve and Susan. Which means, from a losing position only three games ago, this week's champions are Steve and Susan! (laughs) Thanks to Sam Pamphidon, David James, Steve McNeil, Susan Calvin, Ellie Gibson, our human controllers, and Cher, of course, I'm Darren Reed. That's game over. We'll see you next time for more Go 8th. Good night!
0: And I... You know, I, I said at the top of the show that I, I feel like I've changed my stance on on Go Eight Bit somewhat. I haven't rewatched it since it first aired. I was there like every episode of Go Eight Bit, kind of wanting it to be good, wanting it to be a success because I I missed gaming shows being on TV. What do you think this whole podcast has been about? And so I was kind of willing it to be good, but it wasn't getting great write ups. Fans, like video game TV fans, weren't really singing about it either. And it's kind of become a bit of a, a joke and a bit of a, a bit of a punchline for, for some people. But I actually think it's good. Like I really enjoyed this episode. I've watched some other episodes. Not every episode's a winner. I think it always it does depend on who the comedians are, what their skill levels are at games, what the games they are given as well. And you're right, the, the stage rotating thing does get a bit tiresome. Sort of the hour-long format kind of makes it drag a little bit. But overall, like I don't think that Dar Brian's Go 8-Bit is as bad as some people have labelled it as. Do
3: you know what's changed for me? And I think I just had this epiphany moment just now. Literally, just as you were talking. What's changed is I've watched more than just Games Master. Obviously, fairly early doors. We did Bad Influence. We did an episode of Games World. But we've spent the past couple of months in the wilderness years, and we've had the good, the bad, and the ugly. And outside of that, I've also been watching game shows from other countries, video game-based content. I've watched some more Starcade. Luke, good news for you. I've got 130 episodes of Starcade. I can tell you're excited. (laughs) But... I then look at this and leaving aside the Games Master reboot, which I still really like and I'm actually worried I'll like it less when we get to it. I see Go 8-bit and I'm like, I really like what they were doing. There was some stuff that I already knew. A lot of the game history I already knew because guess what? I'm a games nerd. I'm a nerd in general. We've now approaching 200 episodes. I've done what? 100,000, 250,000 words of like various notes and research and copies and pastes and screen grabs and God knows what. I've got knowledge up here I'm never going to use again. But it didn't outstay its welcome in the explanations. It was sharp. It was punchy. It brought everyone up to speed. And at no point, other than the turntable, did this episode feel like it dragged. Absolutely. So I definitely reassessed my opinion on this, much like I reassessed my opinion on series three of Games Master, much like I've reassessed my opinion on a lot of post season two Games Master. Some bits that I used to like, I don't. Some bits that I didn't like have now grown on me. I will still advocate for baby rom. I know I'm alone in that.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like I've really softened on this and I had a good time with this episode. And it when, it when it finished, I wanted to download some more from archive and watch some more of it. Sort of went onto the Wikipedia page, like look for comedians that I like and sort of like, you know, all games that I like and I'll check those ones out but I would recommend people give this another shot if you were one of those people and I know we're all out there because, I mean, look, the pair of us here were these people if you were those people in 2016 that sort of wrote this show off I'd give it another shot I think you might be pleasantly surprised but that is going to do it for this week's episode next week is not their Games Master reboot we have got one more stop on our journey to take before we get to the Games Master reboot. And we're going back to the online world again, as a popular BBC show spins off into the world of gaming with Top Gear Gaming.
3: Which, of course, features friend of the podcast and former guest, Mike Chanel. And
0: wrestling YouTuber, Simon Miller. We'll have that in seven days' time. But until then, thank you all so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter at underconsolepod, on Instagram and threads at under.console, and you can send an email to feedback at underconsultation.com.
3: And if you want to chat with us in real time, chat with other listeners, other fans of gaming, old and new, all forms of pop culture, you can do so over on our Discord, details of which are in the show notes or on social media. And if you want to watch me playing video games, both challenging or not, you can do so at least every Thursday, twitch.tv forward slash under pod. And Luke, while we were recording this episode, under console pod is now an affiliate channel. Hey, well done, you literally got the email while we were recording.
0: And I'm like, woo! <laughs> And if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod to get access to our monthly community show under console nation. And if you're back is at the five pound level, you'll get next week's show one week early and ad free. And at the 10 pound level, you get your name read out on this show like these fine folk, Adam D, Adam Warrington, Andrew, Andy Smith, Arcadia, Wild Bill, Chris Price, Chrissy Two Sticks, Colin Conroy, David Palmer, Gordon Aiken, Gordon Brands, Gordon Dempster, Harriet Manga Girl, I am Cheadle, Ian Roberts, Ian Williams, Jamie Smith, Joe McGonagall, Joe Mitchell, Kevin, Kylie, Lawrence, Link, Mark, Matty, Boo, Misha, Nick, Phil, Retrofund for everyone, Reese, Rich Pemberton, Richard Downer, Richard Major, Sean, Selena, Simon, Supersexy, Dave Fisher, The Amazing Cliff, Tom Dylan McEvoy, Tom S U B D, William Cottingham, Xanderthal, and Zach. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care, everyone. Good night.